Jacob and Michael. Everybody, it's another episode of the Perfect Saturday Morning. This is a spinoff of our podcast, Back in Tunes, where we take a, a guest makes a list of their perfect cartoons, and it's a what if if you ran a television network and you could program whatever you wanted on Saturday morning, any choice of animation, primetime, daytime, syndicated, any era, and basically we just run through that list. And this episode, I have John with me, who is uh, going to give us a What's on his list? How's it going, everybody? Now, I was thinking about this, and I, as much as I enjoy lots of uh, action-oriented cartoons, and very obviously it'll, that'll be demonstrated, I was thinking if I was going to start off a Saturday morning lineup, I kind of want to go with something a little bit more easygoing, nice, pleasant, and I thought the Nicktoons version of Doug. Would oh, be nice. the perfect way to start everything off. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit milk toasty and stuff, but it's it's really just a pleasant show, and I really enjoy it. And they've been showing it late nights on uh, like Teen Nick or whichever one it, one of those channels, and I've been catching up on it again, just going, wow, I re- really remember liking the show, and I really like it now. Yeah, I, there was really nothing like it before or since. It was seems like such a handcrafted personal half hour of animation it just you know wasn't really going for the big laughs wasn't going for action it was just kind of like a slice of life like an animated version of pete and pete almost you know that that kind of tone yeah it was very relatable and like with pete and pete and stuff there's surreal moments because you have the little fantasies that doug has where he's all of a sudden a superhero or the uh, the bond like character smash at it mm-hmm. stuff like that and it's just you know, it just is more relatable, and it just, like, like keep saying, it's just kind of nice. You yeah. know, nice little moral, you know, little moral stories and stuff, and not, and even in a way, not even that heavy-handed at it either. No, it's not too complex. It's it is a good wake up uh, for your Saturday morning. I usually started off with something like old school Looney Tunes, Woody Woodpecker, something I was comfortable with. You know, I think most TV networks would start off with either uh, older TV shows or stuff that was kind of chill you know not too complex not too much action going on yeah. so your brain could slowly wake up because yeah, I, I remember so many odd you know like these cartoons back when i was growing up and it's like oh yeah there was weird things like fantastic max and you know just some of these weird oddball cartoons for like the early 90s and late 80s and you just think you know what yeah it's always kind of like these is also slightly surreal to start yeah and then you kind of get get into into whatever it is that they were going to do the superheroes and stuff so you must be quite a bit younger than me because by the time these cartoons rolled around i was in high school oh i this was god trying to to remember when doug hit but yeah it was uh middle school when when the nicktoons and saturday night nickelodeon and all that stuff started up oh okay okay so there's not a huge i was born in 77 so my core saturday mornings are like you know, mid to late 80s, though I did watch a lot of uh, what was on Nickelodeon. I have a younger sister, and that's kind of how we bonded, was watching Snick and uh, Sunday morning uh, Nickelodeon. Yeah, it's. I, I remember when they rolled out those first Nicktoons, and yeah, it was like, they were all, they were all interesting stuff, and you especially, because yeah, you started off with Doug, which was all nice and pleasant, then you kind of got a little more surreal with 
with Rugrats. And then you went full on bonkers and occasionally nightmare mode with Ren and Stimpy. Yeah. Well, that's what's cool about Nickelodeon is that they were creator oriented, not toy sales oriented, which a lot of the cartoons from the late 80s were purely made just to sell a toy line. Whereas I think around 91 is when Nickelodeon started doing their original animation instead of buying it from other sources like they did with Count Ducula and um, Danger Mouse. Uh, Banana Man, stuff like that. Yeah. And that's when they're like, okay, well, we don't have a whole lot of money, but let's give these creators like complete control over what they want to do. Uh, th- but of course, they end up taking away from uh, John Kay after a while. But I think they let you know, the creator of Doug and Rugrats just go with it for like a decade. Well, I know. Well, Jenkins only had it for like, I think, four years or so. And then, and then it ended up, I guess it was a fairly costly show. And especially with, at that time, Billy West also got really huge because of Red and Stimpy. Yeah. Well, I think the so, delays in the episodes also were a problem. They were taking way too long. Yeah. And then ABC picked it up. And I remember seeing some of those later episode dugs mm-hmm. and just kind of thinking, oh, no, this isn't good now. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes when, when they switch to bigger is, networks, it does yeah. sometimes get washed away. The, the little cute quality. I mean, part like. of it. It's like part of it was I was older when that happened because I think that was closer to when I was in high school. And it's like, you know, not that I stopped watching cartoons at that time, but my taste changed quite a bit at that point. So it's kind of maybe if I watched them now, maybe I would have appreciated I might appreciate them a little bit more. But these old Doug, these old Doug episodes, I really, really enjoyed the, um, the one question I love to ask people is, were they a sweet or savory person when it came to their breakfast eateries? Oh, I was much of a sweet, sweet uh, breakfast cereal kid. More sugar, the, the better. <laughs> yeah, what were, your, what were your favorites? Let's see, uh, corn pops. Uh, I do like, uh, let's see, what else was it? Uh, Lucky Charms, of course. And... I think I'm one of the few kids who didn't actually mind the actual cereal bits instead of just the freeze-dried marshmallows. <sighs> what? <laughs> yes, I actually – I did not hate – I would actually – you know, I'd eat all the marshmallows first, but then I'd still I'd still take care of the cereal. Oh, my God. But it's, it's like – Some of those are the worst. Now, did you ever eat any fad cereals, like based on like a popular property at that time, and then they faded away a year later? Oh, heck. Uh, I, I must have. I – I'm trying to remember how because there's so many of those uh, fad cereals out there. I mean, I'm sure things I can remember that I know I eat wasn't necessarily cereal, but I, you know, the Ecto Coolers. Oh and, yeah. Uh, basically, anything that was real Ghostbusters related, I definitely I know I consumed. The uh, they, I don't think they ever made a cool. Ghostbusters cereal, but I remember there were so many of those that were just god awful shit, like the Mr. T cereal, the ET. Uh, Garbage Pail Kids, the GI Joe cereal. They're all just insanely bad. You think? Okay, now he likes the, the, the cereal bits in the Lucky Charms. Now imagine taking those cereal bits and washing away any flavor whatsoever and having kind of a metal aftertaste. That's what most of these cereals taste like. I don't know why. And then all of a sudden they perfected it in 94 with the Spider-Man cereal based on the cartoon. That is hands down my favorite cereal of all time. No one's ever made it again because when they brought it back for the movie, they took out the marshmallows and then they just like made like uh, you know like the little Captain Crunch kind of pieces where it's just fruit yeah. flavored corn yeah. pieces. This stuff that can tear up your mouth. Yeah. yeah, it's the best cereal I've ever had, and I'm never gonna capture that magic again. I don't even eat marshmallow cereals anymore. I eat like mostly granola or like mini wheats, you know, like really hearty cereals. 
Yeah, it's like at this point, you know, it's, if I have cereal, it's pretty much all I have. It's just anything that'd be hearty or mostly it's like eggs and things like that. Now. Yeah. We but don't even do cereals. The only time that I ever back off is when Halloween comes around and they introduce the monster cereals again. Oh my God, I've been known to buy oh. cases, a case of blueberry once, and it was a mistake. <laughs> Blueberries, Frankenberry, all that good stuff. Yeah, I remember they tried bringing back the other ones that no one ever remembers: Yummy Mummy and Fruit Brute. And those, they're, they're okay, but they're just nowhere nearly as popular as the uh, the original three. True. It will again. And how can you? Everyone can remember Count Chocula. It's pretty much the like if you could do a monster cereal, it's like the most obvious one to do. Yeah, totally. Once you kind of get to Fruit Brute, you kind of. You're stretching yourself a little yeah. bit. <laughs> I actually had the action figures of all those characters. I ended up selling them for like like 60 bucks a piece or something like that on eBay years ago. I couldn't believe that they were so popular. Like Fruit Brute is so obscure, but I, guess you, I bet you there was only like you know 10 or 15 of those in existence that was in perfect condition like mine was. Oh, man. Yeah, I never I never really went into the, uh, the cereal toy collecting stuff. Yeah. It was never, never in my in my wheelhouse for that stuff. It was anytime I got cereals, it was just eat it, and then off to the next thing. Yeah, there was one other one that I really enjoyed, and it was uh, you remember the Super Mario Brothers show with the Zelda cartoon? Oh yeah, Mario Brothers Super Show. Yeah, they had a cereal where one side of the box was the Mario cereal, and the other side of the box was the Zelda cereal. Like you get two different flavors in, in, in inside the box. You combine them or keep them separate. And if I remember correctly, they came with like little action figures of Mario and Zelda or uh, Link. And uh, boy, I wish I kept those. I bet you they're worth a lot of money. That probably would be. People be like people, especially now with how fetishious uh, people are with uh, with Nintendo stuff. It, oh. That would probably go probably make a good mint on uh, eBay. Yeah. Um, so back to our list. What is our second cartoon? Second cartoon is actually a very new one. Uh, it's the new DuckTales. Oh, you know, a lot of people are bringing that one up, old and new, and I still haven't seen the new one. The new one is really good. I was, like, when I heard that they were they were rebooting DuckTales, kind of had, kind of rolled my eyes and went, oh, of course, yeah, let's just stop on my childhood, sort <laughs> of, you know, sort of knee-jerk reaction. And then, you know, most of the, most of the cast, I don't really follow their stuff because you got people from like community and parks and rec things like that but david Tennant is playing scrooge and that kind of caught my attention and seeing the art style it's you know kind of based off the old carl banks uncle scrooge comics mm -hmm. so you kind of have a nice nice older visual style to it that's what i enjoy a lot of these then newer heard... cartoons are trying to change it to be um, absolutely of the moment and the problem with that is even if it connects to an audience it's going to be so short-lived so I remember when they did all the superhero cartoons in that anime style, like, you know, uh, I think it was like Batman Strikes uh, or Beware the Batman or something like that. And there was a Spider-Man one that did that, yeah. too. When you do that with a lot of these old school cartoons, you try to um, like almost like a, a complete 180 from the old style. I think it alienates a lot of people. Yeah, and there's a lot about this show that is very contemporary, like. Webby is now a Tom, uh, is like a little tomboy who's got far more agency than basically worthless damsel in distress type character from the original. Mm -hmm. And there's also an overarching mystery involving the uh, Huey Dewey and Louie's mother, who apparently was an adventurer along with Donald Duck and Uncle Scrooge, huh. who's disappeared 
years back from mysterious circumstances, and they're kind of trying to figure out what happened. Well, that's good. They're putting the story up front. I like when they build a mythos, a world, instead of just one and done, and you move on to the next adventure, where eventually all the episodes kind of seem the same. Yeah, and it's... Uh, I don't like the theme, the, the the redone theme for that. Not not a big fan of what they did with it, but the show is the show is really good. I'm very happy with what I've seen so far, and I guess it's, you know, I mean, it's kind of been... We've done 10 episodes here. We had a long break. Now we're starting up more right now. So it's they're kind of piecemealing out the first season a bit. Yeah, well, I think it's more cost efficient. Instead of constantly doing, uh, you know how the old way they had to fill a syndicated strip, so they had to do like 60 episodes a year? So the quality would definitely deteriorate yeah. So like, really, really fast. But when you're doing them in small chunks, I think the quality control is better. Yeah, and it definitely seems... It shows because this show is very good, and even though they, you know, most of the cast, they didn't bring most of the cast back. There is one thing that kind of, you know, made me feel so happy was they do have Darkwing Duck in the show. No shit, really. But it's a, it's a TV show though. Oh, still. And it actually has all the voice actors from Darkwing Duck. Nice. I didn't know that. And so that huh. So it's so far, as far as I. What I've seen, I've only seen one bit where they've had it, and it's like an intro, intro to an episode, and just like I'm just going, well, at least you're honoring some of the people. <laughs> yeah, well, it'd be cool <laughs> if they, they somehow they somehow built an animated universe with all those characters they did back in the '80s, you know, and Chip and Dale, Rescue Rangers, pop up and Tailspin and stuff like that. Well, I believe in one of them they do go to the uh, the city that's in Tailspin. Cool. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know if you're gonna ever if they're actually gonna have uh, Baloo or any of those guys that show up, but you definitely are gonna have that location. All right, what comes after Ducktales? The Tick. The Tick. Oh, nice. Spoon. Yeah. Yes. Now it's like because it's something going. Okay, nice. You know, a little more modern, but uh, and also a little uh, absurdist at times. Now full on absurd humor. Yeah. And of course, superheroes and stuff. I mean, I love I love the Batman animated series. I love Batman Beyond. I love X Men, Spider Man, all of those that all those shows that came out. But the Tick has always been the best because the Tick was the best parody of all that stuff. Yeah, and plus and it, it wasn't just it wasn't just a comedy. It was satire, which you you're, 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 you have to sharpen your uh, your wit up a little bit in order to compete in that world because the Tick, I think was aiming more for like a Saturday Night Live audience, you know, an older audience instead of just silly, yeah, uh, you know, oh, eight-year-olds, you know, we're not aiming for that at all. Yeah, it, it didn't, it was one of those wonderful cartoons and, or just shows in general that never talked down to its audience. As goofy and as silly and childlike as it is, there was still thought behind it. There was still, you have to be paying attention here, you know, we're giving you jokes. Mm -hmm. Whether you get them or not is, is up to you. And each iteration of The Tick um, on television has been completely different. So, of course, the animation uh, version is not limited by its budget. You know, whatever crazy idea they can come up with shows up in the cartoon. But then the TV show knew that it was limited, so they kind of reinterpreted it as more of a, like a Seinfeld-style sitcom. And I think it's amazing. I don't know how I feel about this new version. I only watched the first episode, and it seems dark, and it kind of loses the satire. 
it it really wants to be a modern uh, comic book show, and definitely because it's on on Amazon, it's it's definitely like the Netflix Marvel shows in a way where it's yeah we can we can curse we can do all this other stuff and it just the first season wasn't bad I have not gotten through the second but it there's so many issues I have with it too that's like yeah I saw the first episode of season two eventually I'll see the other ones <laughs> yeah it just doesn't seem like it's it's the tick at all. I feel like it's someone's reinterpretation of the tick. Even though Bed Edlin is involved in all three versions, I feel like something's lost in this final version of his vision. Yeah, it plays it. It it wants to be the DC DC film version of the tick, oh. as opposed to you know what it the absurdity that it is. Yeah. Um, what is after the tick? The Pirates of Darkwater. Oh, nice. The show that left everybody wondering, how the hell does this end? <laughs> yeah. God, only 21 episodes ever ever showed, and you never found out where it went, what happened, or why. Yeah, it's just, it, it's just so easy just to do two more episodes. Wrap it up. Just two more episodes, man. Yeah, it's just such a wonderful, you know, great action-packed show. You had nice, you know, you had your mascot character with Nidler, but he wasn't that obnoxious, which is really surprising with a lot of the shows, especially in that time. And, yeah, just one of these things where, again, I like, I usually, when I talk, tell, talk to people about cartoons, I like to try to differentiate some things. There are cartoons, you know, things like Looney Tunes and things like that, where it's an, epi an episode and it's all self-contained, and it's, you know, just kind of, there doesn't necessarily have to be silly, just it's all self-contained one-offs of things. Whereas an animated series has a progressive story, so things like, I always felt like Batman was an animated series because there was always some sort of development. Mm -hmm. Same thing with this one. You're continuing a story. Even if episodes could be one-offs, there's usually something that builds the next one. Right. It, it makes the audience invest better than just burning out after a couple of seasons. You're just like, well, none of it really matters. That's why the uh, Transformers series is so well-remembered, because there was always advancement forward. Yes, yeah, especially even because things like that, of course, you were talking about earlier. Uh, people were making toys, you know, not necessarily TV shows. Mm -hmm. And, things, you know, even though Transformers were basically toys... Like this, yeah, people actually did at least take some thought into how we're going to continue on a storyline. Right. Well, this is a Hanna-Barbera creation, and it seemed like – I'm pretty sure they created the entire uh, storyline, and, and the cartoon was already ready to go before they ever even thought about selling toys. It wasn't a commercial. It just happened to be something that also had toys. Yeah. And it's – this actually ties in a little bit with the next uh, show on my list, which is Jason the Wheeled Warriors. You know, I feel like we which, have never done that one. We kept talking about it, and i got to look through my catalog, because I don't know if I've ever uh, discussed JC and the Wheeled Warriors, because we remember watching episodes, but I think we ran out of time to record it and never made it back. God, it's such a, you know, in retrospect, and then I was watching a couple of, th you know, like, the opening and, like, the first episode again, and just... Watching going, this is so weird. 
because it's, I mean, it's a French created show, but, you know, uh, Deke also were working on it as well at the same time. So you had like half the show is written by the, the original French creators. Half the show is written by Deke, which one of the writers who I guess did maybe about a quarter of the episodes uh-huh. was uh, J. Michael Straczynski. Oh, cool. I didn't realize that. And yeah, and it's this this weird show that it's like this you know weird mix of fantasy and science fiction because you have wizards and the little uh, ood the little uh, knight dude, you know, and you got uh, it's you know, the villains are these weird alien plant people. Huh. Yeah. And but it's also it's we're talking about making uh, something that's essentially made to be a toy with character names like saw boss oh yeah <laughs> it's very obviously we thought these we thought the of these cool looking toys now let's make a show built around them you know what's funny is now i think about it maybe i didn't watch this show i don't know if i've ever seen this because i know i didn't see it as a child because it didn't air where i lived but um i actually i thought for some reason i thought it was a post-apocalyptic robot show but now i'm completely wrong i think well, it is. It kind of is because it's these. It, it's like this weird mix of, like I said, fantasy and science fiction. Because you've got these people are spacefaring people. They're traveling around looking for these. Uh, God, I don't remember what the hell they're looking for. Uh, but they're they're going around. You got like this Han Solo type uh, type uh, ship commander. You have our hero who's a young prince. You have again a wizard, and they're all driving. Like vehicles that are very, very technologically advanced things, whereas our villains, and this is a, I was also thinking about this. This is such a weird, like commentary from like the eighties, uh-huh. where it's like technology good, nature bad. Ah, okay. Because because it's very much all the villains are, you know, these techno organic things, but very very plant like, whereas our heroes have like construction equipment. Almost, and they are. It's really seems to lean lean heavily into the. Oh yeah, we can defeat all these this evil nature stuff very easily with our advanced technological prowess. That's that's a weird anti hippie kind of Ronald Reagan era idea. <laughs> yeah, I could be I could be really wrong about it, but it if just watch the uh, the opening and just kind of tell me does that not feel. Yeah, like uh, like Ronald Reagan's wet dream. Huh. I never. I, I gotta watch this show again because none of this sounds familiar. Yeah, it's when I when I was rewatching some of this stuff, I really really was liking it. So I'm I'm kind of surprised because looking into it, also it ran quite a while. Yeah, and I, I think I think you can buy really, the complete. I, oh, go ahead. Well, I was thinking it was kind of like Pirates of the Dark Water, where they just kind of cut off really quickly, but no, it they did quite a bit of it. Huh. Well, it's probably because of the international sales. Deke, Deke uh, produced a lot of stuff from America, but not a lot of it's a household name. Not all of it's like, you know, Inspector Gadget. Um, but I feel like they had a lot of shows that were on for a long time because they sold well overseas. Maybe it didn't even necessarily air in the United States for a few seasons. I, I don't know if the whole run uh, was aired here. That's, that's probably the case because I do remember watching it, but I don't remember how long I watched it. Yeah, syndicated TV That's also weird. the same thing where, yeah, they probably produced most of the episodes right up front and, you know, shot them out there, you know, really quickly. So, you know, 
a year, you know, year and a couple of months and you're probably done. Yeah, that's the strangest thing about syndication back in the day is um, it can be a really popular show, but if it doesn't sell in your market, you never see it. I never saw Voltron when I was a kid. Everybody I knew on the planet has seen Voltron. I never got to watch a single episode because it just didn't air in my market. Yeah, I loved Voltron when I was growing up. Such a – although I think I'm one of the few people who actually remembers the movie that they did where it was the, the two Voltron teams getting together. No, I didn't know they had a movie. You know, respected villains. Huh. Yeah, I – some kind of movie or special. I can't find it. I can't find any uh, – really any description of it in anywhere but i know i had it because i had it on video cassette okay maybe they maybe they combined episodes up i know there's stuff like that that was really popular at the time like uh robotron never saw a single episode of as, as a kid the transformers movie didn't even play in my market and it's not like i lived in a small city i mean it was fairly decent size i think at the time it was about 150,000 people and uh it's still a shock to state that transformers never played gobots did and i went and saw the gobots movie immediately regretting it <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, what is after? I, saw, I definitely saw the trans. Oh, right after that is Transformers. Oh, okay. Hey, segue. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's at this point. I've you know, it's like you said. They're like, okay, now it's all the uh, now it's all our action cartoons. So we're definitely going to have the original. My one of my absolute favorite cartoons of all time. Do you prefer the pre-movie just, run or post-movie run? I prefer the pre-movie run. I, I like the post. I really like Once, it. I think the stories get more complex, and there's some creepy weird stuff going on in it. Um, I enjoy the first uh, two seasons, but after that it gets weird, and I, I almost was more fascinated by that than anything else. Yeah, it's, I, I definitely will say that they shoot for the moon on some of those episodes, but it's also the really... Like, as much as Transformers was always a toy commercial, that really became a toy commercial because it, it was always – it always seemed to be like, here's the new – here's our new sets. Check these things out. You know, buy them now. Yeah. Yeah, Joe had that same like curse. That, yeah. They were more – yeah, they were, always seemed like they were selling you something less so than, you know, they just kind of like – you know, and yes, in the first run, they kind of – they really did – become extremely formulaic at a point and it just was yeah we're gonna decepticons want energon transformers come in wreck shop the end yeah did you read and the comic book i didn't i never got into the comic books for those ones. man okay so the art is hideous for a lot of it a lot of it's really terrible art but there's two runs in there that are absolutely amazing it's uh the last 20 issues when um I think Andrew Wildman became the new artist. I can't remember the writer that took over. But um, and also the very first, I'd probably say eight issues when they didn't know that it was going to be more than just a miniseries. Literally at the end of episode, or I want to say it's issue four, they kill every single Autobot and Decepticon. They're blown up by Shockwave. Wait, Shockwave. He's a gun, right? Not Shockwave. Uh, Shockwave. Well, Shock. No, Shockwave was the uh, was the cassette deck. Uh, sa- no. Sorry, Shockwave was the gun, Soundwave was the... Okay, so Shockwave comes down. Uh, mind you, a Radio Shack exclusive toy, of all things, comes down and blows them all up. And afterwards, I think the only person that survived, I want to say, was Ratchet. And, um, well, he was the medical one, right? 
He was the medical one. Okay, yeah, he's basically the only one that still survives, and he has to somehow defeat uh, Shockwave. And it's just this crazy dark story, and, and it's some of the best covers I've ever seen in a comic book. But I don't think they thought it was going to go beyond those issues, and all of a sudden they're like, oh shit, this is way more popular than we thought, we got to continue. And then they introduce the Dinobots, and they, they take on Shockwave, and, and they try to revive the rest of their team. Um, and then the end is this weird apocalyptic uh, end of all times war, and nobody is spared. And the story is so complex, and it's over galaxies, uh, you know, uh, the space that they use. I can't think of the words I want to say. Um, it, it's a, like a galaxy hopping kind of storyline where they're going from planet to planet trying to save each other and, and whole worlds are falling apart. And then Unicron is actually brought into this world instead of just being in the movie. It's great. I, I can't recommend it high enough. Hmm. I'll definitely have to take a look at it because, yeah, that definitely sounds a lot better than some of the stuff that happened ever, ever in that TV show. Yeah, I think it's called All Fall definitely. Down is the name of the book. Okay. Definitely. Definitely want to look into that one. Well, you know what I didn't know is that Transformers continued for years afterwards only in Japan. Like, there was a Headmasters line, and I think there was one called, like, G, uh, G-Force or something oh, like God, that. Oh, yeah. God, I can't remember what... Something like that, yeah. yeah. There was there was so many Transformers before we ever got whatever our, our continuation was, which was uh, Beast Wars. Yeah, which I'm which okay with. Which wasn't that bad. Yeah, it's a decent story, but man, yeah. it's, this, the animation does not hold up at all. Oh, no, no. No, none, none of that none of that ninety CG stuff ever holds up. Well, I think it works in reboot because it's in that world. It's, it's the same reason why Tron still works. It's because it's in that world. But when Beastmaster, you're trying. I was like, no, this doesn't. No, sorry. The, uh, the what do you think of the movies? Yeah. I feel like the only real movie is the animated one. Those live action ones, I can't tell what yeah. the hell is going on. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Is the animated film is the only Transformers movie. Although I have seen the trailer for Bumblebee, and it at least from the trailer, it is kind of what I wanted the first Transformers film to be. Yeah, I still don't know why like, he doesn't talk. Discover- why doesn't he talk? It's like, I don't know, he's busted. <laughs> they can't figure it out yet? Like, really? <laughs> no, no, of course not. Well, it's like, I, I do like the, the basic concept. It's kid discovers that their car is a robot. And then there are other robots out there. But it looks like this is very – I'm hesitant to use the word simple. Yeah. With anything that has to do with Michael Bay. Yeah, it's not epic now. It's just more of a simple streamlined story. Yeah, and that – I'm cautiously optimistic about that one. Yeah, if it doesn't hit, I can't imagine that franchise is going to continue. You know, Paramount desperately needs a hit right now. Yeah, and I mean – They've sunk so much money into those films, and for a while they were making tons of money. You know, quality aside, they were, you know, and then people finally caught on. Oh, no, these films suck. Yeah. I don't know why it took them five movies to figure that out. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I don't hate the first Bay Transformers film with a passion like I do the other ones. Yeah. But... It's more, I almost just kind of go, it's almost a non-entity to me as well. Yeah, I just, I like one and three, I hate two, and four just seemed like it was pointless. I feel like we're just going around in circles with the story, there's no real advancement. I'm just like, I don't even care about the humans, can we just go to Cybertron, just make the movie all about Cybertron. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I I just kind of like, I hold my hands and just go like, yeah, okay. (laughs) 
All right, after Transformers, what do we have? Uh, Voltron, Legendary Defender. Nice. Which is the Netflix. Because I love, I love Voltron. I grew up on Voltron. Yeah. I when it when they became available, I actually bought these sets for Go Lion, so I could actually see what the original Voltron series was, and that show is dark. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, Voltron Voltron falls into that the Ultraman, you know, issue where it's you you know when you go like by form when we're talking about formulaic, yeah, it's Voltron shows up, you know, Roby shows up, they fight. You know, oh no, is Voltron going to lose? No, Voltron rises again and strikes down the, the yeah. beast. And they, the never, they never work on their own. They always have to come together. Yeah, and that's kind of what I liked about this, you know, about the Netflix Voltron series is there's very little Voltron in this show. Huh. You know, in the grand scheme of, in the, grand scheme of the run. Yeah. Yeah, they, they come together, they form Voltron, they destroy things. It happens. It's not... You know, not like they're just in the lines the entire time, but comparatively speaking, there's not that much Voltron in this show. It's it is the nuclear option that they okay. You know, we can't we've done exhausted all of our uh, solutions. We can't do anything else. Okay, giant robot time. <laughs> you know what's weird is I had the comic book miniseries from Innovation when I was a kid. That's the only real experience. I even had a Voltron toy, but I, I was too poor to afford the good toys, if you want to put them in that category. Um, like, I had GoBots instead of Transformers. I think I had, like, two Transformers. But I had a little miniature Voltron where uh, the pieces couldn't come apart. It was all just one stable figure. Um, and that's really my only experience with Voltron. I really thought it was cool, but I just couldn't get to watch it. Well, it's like I, I had the, the lions uh, that you could put together, and as far as I could tell... As a little little tyke, I could never put the damn thing together. So oh man, they're always just the lions. Do you remember when Transformers and I think even Gobots tried to, you know, do that? They tried to make their own version of Voltron. Oh yeah, well that was that was always a thing that, you know, now I'm I'm kind of talking down about uh, Transformers, but I always kind of felt that that was a slightly derivative thing. Was once you got all the Constructicons and and the other. The other Transformers that all of a sudden, oh yeah, we stack them all together and build a bigger robot. I thought it was funny that GoBots was so lame and so cheap that they couldn't even figure out how to get the GoBots to lock together. They had to make a separate like like case to wrap around a GoBot, then lock that case into another case and build a giant GoBot. And I was like, oh, this is bottom of the barrel. Who owned them? Was it was it Galoob or Tonka or somebody who had no money? I, I think that was – I'm pretty sure that was Tonka. Okay. Yeah, you could always tell. Oh, and I used oh, to get my GoBots. Yeah. I, I didn't even have the known GoBots. I had the ones where you went to Wendy's and you bought a Happy Meal and you got a cheapo GoBot with them. Those are the GoBots I had. So I even had <laughs> – so already the GoBots are a third-rate Transformer. I had the third-rate version of that third-rate toy. Just – oh, my God. It's like, yeah, it didn't have Psykill. You had what? Uh, – I don't know. They, a, they all had like one movement. You just pulled their hip away from their stomach, and that was about it. <laughs> oh man, so so bad. Go-bots. I don't even remember if they even transformed into vehicles. I don't. Rem- I think they were literally a car, like a Hot Wheel car, and you would just flip it up, and the face was on the bottom of the car, and you pulled its um, it's it's literally pulled its stomach and its hip away from each other, and then maybe the arms popped out, and that was it. So low rent. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I, 
can't imagine. I can't imagine anyone. It's like, again, unless unless that was all you had, yeah. Go bots just for, just yeah. <laughs> you can hear my reaction. Just yeah, yeah. The two the two transformers I had were Thundercracker and Hoist. Super obscure. Oh, I, yeah, I didn't have too many. Yeah, I didn't have too many of those toys. When it came to toys, I mostly had like uh, Ninja Turtles and stuff. Oh, like that. okay. Yeah, mine were all GI Joes. I had so many GI Joes. I had I had quite a few He Man. I had um, um, I think one mask, and I had a few Thundercats, and that was about it. But my jam was GI Joe for sure. Well, and Star Wars, of course, the Star Wars figures. Yes, definitely Star Wars. Um, were you? What year were you no. born? 80, 81? 81. Okay, so you got maybe the very tail end of the Star Wars figures back when they like had the little medallions in them. Um, my run was uh, with Empire Strikes Back. I was three years old, and that's when I got my first one. Yeah, it's like I, God, I can't, I can't remember. I just, I just remember having, getting them. So it's, I knew I had them at some point. Yeah. The um, uh, number eight. What is your eighth uh, cartoon? Gravity Falls. I have not seen this. Now, my list of cartoons seems to stop somewhere in the mid-2000s because I feel like I haven't watched anything in years. I think the last one I really watched was Venture Brothers. Well, hold on. Well, Bob's Burgers, too. I watch Bob's Burgers. But I miss a lot of these cartoons everybody's crazy about. Well, it's like I kind of came across Gravity Falls by way of Rick and Morty. Which I have not seen either. Because <laughs> Rick and I will say this. Rick and Morty is a good show. Its fan base is horrible. Oh, you but, mean the, uh, the enraged uh, fanboys that know no reason or logic in any of their arguments? Yep. Same ones who have taken over and the Star Wars we'll... fandom? <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, uh, fandom is bad bad these days. But yeah. it's I, I, learned, I learned of this show because of there's a – one of the episodes in Rick and Morty has a tie-in to an episode from Gravity Falls. No kidding. That's where cool. In – in one of these episodes, Gravity Falls, this portal opens up, and one of the characters loses, like, a, I think it's his fez, a uh, pen, and a, and a coffee mug, or something like that. And then, in an episode of Rick and Morty, just out of random, like, Rick opens up a series of portals, and out of one just comes those three items. Nice. And it's just, you don't, it's not called on, it's just kind of there in the background. And then, you know, it's like, okay, that's... That's a weird mix because it's a very adult cartoon on on uh, Cartoon Network and a kids cartoon on Disney Channel. Yeah, that's, that's weird. Since it's different networks. Yeah, I didn't expect that. That they're combined. Yeah, and then you know I kind of start finding out. Okay, it's basically it's a you know Gravity Falls being this little twisted cartoon kind of. Uh, it's like. Yeah, uh, Gravity Falls is this epicenter for weirdness where these two twin kids come uh, to visit their great uncle Stan or Grunkle Stan, <laughs> and and they end up uh, kind of falling into this world of strangeness where yeah, this town has things like mer people and crazy uh, can not cannibalistic but crazy little uh, gnomes that roam, roam around, and there's this uh, demon. <laughs> Called uh, Bill Cipher that is trying to like destroy the world. Oh, okay, that's weird. <laughs> and I haven't seen all the episodes, but I have because it has a definite ending. It only ran two seasons. That's it. Wow. And its ending, and its ending is a definite ending. 
and you know seeing bits and pieces here and there and seeing the ending it's like some of the best storytelling i've actually seen in in any uh contemporary cartoon that's cool no wonder it has such a strong family I, I had no idea it was only two seasons it's it's amazing that built such a strong fan following was there a lot of episodes per season or were they short seasons it's only short seasons i think i want to say it's maybe at the most 30 episodes something like that huh it's it's not it's truly not a long long running show all right what do we have after gravity falls but yeah definitely gargoyles oh nice i that's one of the last of the cartoons i really watch like on a regular basis but the funny thing is i can't remember anything about it oh man i love that show so much but it's another one where once it switched networks quality and everything kind of went down was it fox and then abc yeah, i think it was like yeah but pretty sure it was, it was either fox or it was abc when it started but then when it went to actual disney so actually, yeah, I think it was on ABC because it, yeah. it was around with, with, with all the other uh, Disney, with all the Disney ones. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Disney had bought ABC yet, but they definitely had a tight relationship at that time. But yeah, it, I mean, such a, such a great run for those original that original series because you know it had, you used mythology, you used uh, folk stories, you used all sorts of stuff. Amongst all that uh, crazy, you know, sci-fi stuff that they put into it. So you had, you know, the robots and you had, like, God, just go and try to think of, like, all the all the weird shit that was in that show. Well, what I love about the show is that it took the uh, idea of what you would perceive as the bad guys and make them the heroes. Yeah. And, and even then, it's like, yeah, you have... The, probably the most rich and well, well, well-rounded characters ever, because they definitely never, never skimped on trying to build out who these people were. Even the villain is not just some mustache-twirling villain, even though at the beginning and for a nice, nice little period of it, yeah, Xanatos is just kind of one note, and then they start, you know, you start building more and more onto him, and then it's. Okay, he's bad, but he's a flawed person. Not, not just oh, I want, I want them for my own means or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard that that's coming back. Like the, I've heard that. I, I haven't heard much. Yeah. And I, if if you get same writers or at least people who are, you know, willing to uh, honor the original stuff, then I'm I'm all all for it. I, it took forever to get there, but I kept waiting for 90s nostalgia to hit. It usually only takes 20 years, and it's just like, wow, what is taking so long? We're still stuck in the 80s, and it finally looks like we're starting to get into 90s nostalgia. Not that any of it's really necessary. I don't think reviving or uh, doing homages to eras is necessary to filmmaking. Sometimes I think it's stifling. But um, when there's a solid fan base and the person who's creating it, I think it's Jordan Peele is the one who wants to bring it back, if he's truly a fan, instead of just looking for something that he can sell, um, more power to them because the fans, I think, are probably the best part. As long as they're not super fans, so they can't let the story breathe, um, which is what's happened to Star Wars, in my opinion, is that people don't want to let it breathe and become something else. Um, that that's good idea for a franchise, I think, is when you can uh, get people who care about it to nurture it along. Yeah, I'm I am kind of one of those evil dickhead fans right now. 
I'm not, you know, on the internet roasting everybody or anything about it, but uh, the Thundercats revival that they're trying to do. Yeah. I do not like the art style, and I don't like the idea that it sounds like that they're doing Teen Titans Go. Yep. Which I oh, hate. I hate cats. Teen Titans Go. I don't know what the fandom's all about. I hate it. I like Young Justice more. Hell, I liked uh, Teen Titans. <laughs> they didn't need to uh, turn it into a sitcom. No, no. But but yeah, so it's like, I let it come out. Maybe I will see it. Maybe I won't. Mm-hmm. Don't you know? I'm not invested enough to have to hate watch it or give it a shot. So. But it's once once I saw that reveal, I was just, uh, no. no. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they had a run, I think, in 2003 where they tried to revive it and make it look more like the original cartoon. Yeah, yeah, but it just didn't get a big audience. So that's part of the problem is if it doesn't sell well, then the studio goes, we still have this IP that we need to do something with. It didn't work when we made one like the original, so now it's going the opposite direction, which... In a way, I get where they're coming from, but it just seems this this version is so wrong in so many ways. But like I said, you know, you and I have only seen maybe five seconds of footage, so it's hard to judge. Yeah, yeah, it's it isn't fair to judge that, and I I am adult enough to admit that. But then I just kind of look at it and go, you know, squinty eyed, and I'm watching you <laughs> make a mistake. Yeah, make and you a will mistake. Fall. And, all right, what is our final cartoon? Robotech. Okay. Because possibly one of the most, especially for the time, one of the most mature cartoons that ever actually show in the U.S. Which still never saw. So much. Never saw a single scrap of ne- it until about three years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's so, like, I remember when they killed off Roy Fokker, you know, that's, that's one of those things where you go like, they, you, you can't kill a, you can't kill a person in a cartoon. <laughs> it, it does. You, you can't do that. You know, little kid, you, it just kind of shakes you for a moment. Well, that was a weird trend not, for a brief moment been, of killing off your beloved character, Transformers movie. And originally in the GI Joe movie, they were supposed to kill off Duke, but then they saw the reaction from Transformers and they, they saved him at the last minute with some added footage. And uh, th- this must have been around say, the same oh, era, he's right? He's in a coma. <laughs> yeah, well, Robotech, that was, uh, I think earlier I said Robotron like a fool. I meant Robotech. Um, Robotech, um, that was like 86, 87, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean uh, earlier than that because it's a re- it's a dubbed version of a Japanese show. Oh, okay, Actually, but three in, shows. But in America, didn't it come around '86? I want to say the movie was released in '86, and then the series debuted after that. But I could be wrong. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the order on that, but yeah, about it's about '86 80, or so. Yeah, it's but one yeah, that, that I still haven't really experienced. The problem with doing this show and trying to stay on a regular schedule is. At first, we were doing cartoons that we already knew, and then we started doing some archaeology. What I like to call animation archaeology is going around and discovering cartoons for ourselves that we had never experienced. And Robotech, I want I, there's so many cartoons I want to go back and watch again, but we're always like I have to go next the next episode, the next episode, the next episode, and I've never been back to watch another episode. Yeah, it's like with Robotech, it because it's three separate shows, it. The, it is very dysfunctional at times. Like, I mean, you get to the first 
the first run is Macross. It's the it is the basic show. Then they go into another show called Buspedia, which uh, work it. They find a way to bring that into into the Macross world fine because it's very similar styled, you know. And you can oh yeah, we'll just say this character is these people's child. And there we go. We have we have a tie-in. Then you get to the third series, and I forget what it's called, but it's it's just out there and like. It's not worth watching at that point. I feel like that happened with a lot of the shows that were imported, where it just seems like they melded other shows. And the funny thing is Transformers itself was melded from two different, or maybe three different toy lines, which is weird because if you would do that with an American toy line or American cartoon, that just seems like it would be so jarring. But for some reason, people became conditioned to anime just being chopped up and repositioned and, you know, out of order and, and other shows are combined with it. And they're just like, no, that, that makes complete sense. I'm like, no, it doesn't. It does not make sense. Why are we doing this? <laughs> yeah. It, well, that's the same thing with Voltron. Like, you know, I said before, it's like, it's uh, Go Lion. And then it's two other shows kind of partially put together. And for the most part, it works. But you really lose out in a lot of what the actual storyline is when you're just kind of doing these off, you know, mishmashes of things. Uh At least with Transformers, they were toy lines, so they were, we're going to animate something based on all these toys. Right, right. They had already done all the work first and then combined. Yeah, so so it's, yeah, we have all these, we have these toys that we're going to do. Let's now animate towards that yeah. as opposed to let's let's Frankenstein something together. And, <laughs> yeah. And, and hope that we can. I never grew up with anime. Out of it. Yeah. I never grew up with anime. So it's still kind of an alien thing to me. Like I just watched Akira for the first time a few years ago. Um, we're going to do one anime episode, which I'm sure the fans will probably lose their freaking minds over because I've never really experienced it before. But we're going to you know, watch Lupin the Third and Cowboy Bebop and some of the bigger ones. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure if it's a good idea or a bad idea, oh, but it's more of a personal have, discovery. I'm not, I'm not a teacher. I'm just trying to find this out for myself and then discuss it afterwards. Oh, my, my son, you have come to the right person, <laughs> at least for a, uh, at least for a, a, a an era of anime. And yeah. then I kind of drop off for a while. I will say this. I've always been a big fan of the Appleseed series. Um, I've watched those. That's but That was primarily the only ones I watched as a kid. My roommate in college would watch them here and there, and I just couldn't get into them. I don't know why. Um, maybe it's the same reason why I don't care about the plots in Godzilla movies, or I don't care about uh, what's going on in a kung fu film outside of the action sequences, usually. There's something, I think, disconnected for me. And no, I'm not a racist or, you know, uh, I need American stuff only. Foreign uh, product, I mean, you're, you could throw that anywhere. You could be French movies. It could be Italian films. Um, uh, that, that stuff just seems I, I can't really connect with it mentally. And so I just kind of just barely watch it and then move on. Well, there is – anime definitely has a point of entry where at you have to find – the right thing to get you into it Mm -hmm. and you know either it's best if it's something like uh, that hits one of your interests like my point of entry aside from you know not knowing that oh yeah you know Voltron and and these are anime when I discovered it it was actually the Street Fighter 2 animated film oh yeah 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 I remember that and it's and that was that was the, the point of entry was okay 
you know, this is Japanese animation. Here's this. Okay, let's see more. Yeah, I and seriously... there was, like, Akira, Ghost in the Shell and stuff. I think it's funny. The generation right after that, though, is ones that are so conditioned. Like, everybody I know under 30 has seen Dragon Ball Z and Pokemon, and they know it by heart. And I watched one episode of Dragon Ball Z, and I was like, what the fuck was that? And he's like, oh, sometimes these fight, <laughs> these, these fight sequences can go for, like, half a sequence. I'm like, you're, you're telling me the entire episode is going to be this action sequence, and then the next one's going to be it? Oh, yeah, totally. It's, it's, it's just the way they do things. I'm like, no. No, I can't do this. But to be fair, I'd rather watch those than a lot of the French cartoons. Like Deke uh, imported a lot of French cartoons that to me seem so cutesy and so disconnected from what I usually watch in cartoons that I can't get into them. Yeah, I can definitely see that because there's – God, there's one of those – I remember one of these shows at one point, I think it was on Cartoon Network, Code Lyoko. Where it's like it was a French cartoon or French Canadian, something like that, but it was trying to be Japanese at the same time. Okay, huh? And just I'm sitting there like just going, okay, this is a weird style. This is just nonsense. Do you think that they get a lot of that stuff in France? Because I feel like I'm not just talking about the animation, but I'm also thinking about the movies that Luc Besson produces. A lot of them seem to be uh, Chinese movie inspired. Well, it definitely has a uh, has that has those inspirations, but a big chunk of it is just the French comics and things like that, because uh, you know you have the weird art of like Mobius and uh, Andrew and I actually did a film called Immortal for uh, what did we just? Oh, watch, I've seen that one. Ad Inventum or something like that. Yeah, and you know that's based off a French comic book, so it's like. It, Europe has, you know, because of Metal Herlant and stuff like that, you have, aka Heavy Metal. Uh, <laughs> I want to say it, but I wasn't going to talk down. I, yeah, I was I was debating whether I was going to actually do that or not. But, yeah, uh, you, have, you have a dedicated art style and visual sense that in some ways is also the same as in, as in Japan with a lot of their cyberpunk and things like that. So you kind of have not necessarily one side feeding off the other, but a visual sense that just kind of permeates, uh, you know, this this is kind of genre in some cases, especially because of how Luc Besson, the kind of films that he makes, yeah, have have that sort of that sort of thing. Whether or not he's a fan of anime or not, you know, who can say? Um. All right. So that brings us to the end of our list. And uh, thank you for a great episode, John. You're welcome. All right. If you are interested in listening to him uh, talk about other stuff here, uh, we've been doing episodes of Comics on Infinite Earths, and hopefully we have a special podcast coming up soon about a certain spy that's really, really well known. (laughs) But um, other than that, um, check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment. You'll find all our episodes there. And have a good evening. Good night, everybody. I assume everybody's watching, listening to this in the evening. I don't know. It could be good morning. I don't know. What are you doing? Just, hi, bye. There. <laughs> everybody, thank you for listening to this episode. This is a Retro Rocket Entertainment podcast. It's a network of multiple podcasts, including this one here. 
and check us out on Patreon. You can donate money there for us. We're under the same name, Retro Rocket Entertainment. Check out our sponsors, Zen Monster Media, for all your comic book, movie, physical needs and stuff like that. Not physical needs, but, you know, physical uh, goods. <laughs> Oof, got weird there. Uh, physical goods, and you can find them on uh, eBay and Amazon and stuff like that. And uh, check out jimetsko.com. Um, he is my co-host, Andrew, uh, who does Video Night, does awesome pop culture parody stuff, t-shirts, housewares, and stuff like that. Check him out. And uh, music is provided by Civ776, and uh, like about 13 songs up there on SoundCloud you can check out for free. Uh, you can donate to help sponsor him. And uh, thank you very much. Again, have, a, have fun listening to this episode. You know what I just found out? What's that? I I found it while I was reading this. I was uh, reading about the the author, uh, Sean McKeeman. I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. But he he did a comic in twenty four hours. What? Yes. Like a, like a There's full a, on like so a whole the, issue? Like a whole issue. So I I had to further research this. So there is a twenty four comic. A 24-hour comic competition where your job is to come up with the comic, write it, draw it, and publish it all in 24 hours. It has to be digital, right? Because there's no way they can do it physical copies in 24 hours. I, I have no idea. Uh, I have no idea how it's done. Like I, I was actually just reading into it right now. Um, there's also 24-hour plays where you're supposed to write a script, and perform an entire play in 24 hours. And then there's the 48-hour film project where you're supposed to write a script and perform it in yeah. 48 hours. Now, those, yeah, those are done up here in Portland. My friend Chad did a couple of them where basically they, they – I think what it is is they give you a prop, a location, and a subject matter. Not a genre, not not exact plot, but it's just like you got to touch upon this somewhere in there, and they got 40 hour, 48 hours, whatever, to put it together and turn it in. And that has to be sent in digitally, too. I can't imagine there's physical copies of that. But the comic book has to be the hardest. I mean, that's not just two guys getting together, going out into a field and just, you know, you can improv a script just as long as you hit that touching point. But with the comic book, you're talking like a layout, a script. Is this including drawing everything? This is the whole deal. This is the whole wow. deal. So, like, by the time it's finished, I should have either – uh, a physical or digital copy in my hand in 24 hours. That's crazy. I know the guy who did uh, Mod Monkey, which is kind of an online comic book, which is really cool. Uh, he does that 24-hour comic book too, but I didn't. I don't know if the rules are that you can't have a script ahead of time, like the way it is with the film thing. Like, I mean, do they, do they already have an outline of what they want to do? Do they prep it? I, I have. Because I, I can't. Wow. I have no idea. Like you know it's not going to be top. It's not going to be top of their game. There's not. You know, George Perez. Sound. You know, if he hears about 24 hours, he's like, no, I'm good, dude. You, you've seen my art. It's it's super layered. There's no way I can do that that fast. I I would love to. I would. What I would like to see is big name artists and big name movie directors and big name authors doing that. Yeah. I mean, I would you, love to. I would love to see that. Well, it kind of brings out that college feel, the film school, and, and it's weird. Is usually that's where you get the new ideas, new ways of filming, new ways of presenting a character. It's those guys on the fringes that usually come up with the ideas, not usually the big budget director because there's too much at risk. So it's kind of a formula you have to go with. And and that's the, that is the thing. It's just like with the with the uh, 
indie genre, I guess you could say with the indie genre, you do hear more creative ideas because um, they can afford it. They can do that. They right. can. <laughs> uh, Cloverfield, they, they had the means to shoot a film uh, with one camera the entire time and make it shaky cam and start a whole revolution behind that. Well, I was thinking like um, Memento backwards, just a whole movie backwards. <laughs> That's not how you make a movie. Are you sure? Because I don't exactly remember there being rules to art. I mean, uh, uh, what is it? The early Quentin Tarantino films, like that's, you will never, ever see a movie presented like that where it's, where the story and the action is all presented in dialogue form. Right. Like you will never get that. Well, think about comics. <laughs> Who's the first person to do a splash page? Who's the first person not to just do nine panels, you know, to cut things up, to make them out of order, to make the panel go from left to right and then over back to that first page again, you know, because... Uh, that seems like it was something that popped up in the 90s where people were just like, well, I don't have to do, do it this way, you know, the way you've been doing it for 40 years where it's simple layout. I can break this up any way I want to. Which is, and, and then I think what happens is once there's this, um, once people see it, you know, once they see it and it's like, that is innovative, that is creative, that is different, I want it, then it takes off. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh... We, he must bring that attitude to this comic book. This, um, what is it, like four years old now? Um, I mean, it's not groundbreaking, but there's stuff that he brings to it that's a fresh boy. Oh, no, it's actually older than I thought. It's, it's 10 years old. I didn't realize it was that old. Uh, it, what, it came, uh, came out, so uh, Terror Titans, yeah, came out in 2008 till 2009. I'm going to say that came out five years ago because I'm still in denial. um yeah this is this is before i want to say it's before infinite crisis definitely before um darkest hour brightest day this is when comics are really starting to push that edge thank god that they dropped the comics code but i still wonder why comic books are not rated and i know people say every time you want to rate something a video game or or music they're like oh it's censorship no actually you it's been proven especially with those two genres by putting ratings on both of them you were allowed to expand upon what was allowed in music at that time because I remember in the 80s there was a big hubbub about not even having like a single cuss word in an album. And people were like, oh, this is censorship. You can't, you can't do that to music. And I'm like, well, by entering uh, the MA on the, the CD, you know, parental guidance uh, advisory, they were allowed now to say, hey, look, you have the normal stuff, which you've been hearing for 40 years, and now we have the new stuff, which can expand upon uh, new ideas. It's not just cussing. It's it's they're talking about you know subject matters that were never really covered before. Same thing with video games. So, and, none, none of those games that we love now would exist if it wasn't for the code. I think I think um, what is it? Code is uh, double-edged. I think if you uh, say you can do bad things, bad things will happen. <laughs> It's, it's more or less like, um, I, I think even then, there's a moral code that exists with uh, ratings. Um, you can play, like most video games you will play, yes, it might be rated M, and you'll see somebody get chopped up or their spine ripped out, Mortal Kombat style, but you never see a kid get killed. But I was just thinking about those <laughs> comics, you know, they, they dropped the code, um, I think, what, like 15, 16 years ago? The independent comics really dumped it a long time, like 30 years ago or so, or they, maybe they never even had it in the first place. 
But if uh, people at home don't know, older comic books were uh, really controlled for a long time, especially during the Red Scare of the uh, 50s and 60s. You know, the um, that doctor that came out and said that comics were bad for kids. They had to dump all crime. There was no monsters. And they lightened up in the 70s. They allowed monsters back. But things are really, really confining for these companies that want to tell more mature storylines like Marvel and DC. And they're like, you know what? We can self-regulate. But looking at Terra Titans right now and realizing there's absolutely no warning that this is almost X-rated. I mean, this is a disgusting at times. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just you're horrified by a couple of things that happen in here. And you're just shocked that this sits on the same shelf as everything else without any... I, I, if I was a kid, I'd be like, "Oh my God, my parents never better never find this." That'd be that'd be the that'd be the comic under all the other comics. Yeah, that'd be the comic under the pillow. Right. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is, there's no sex in this. Um, I think it's funny. There's so much gore. I think we can't even look at a boob in a comic book without like everybody losing their mind. But you know, we got heads split in half here, and it's like, well, okay, well, it's mature, but you know, we're not gonna censor that. Why can't you have nudity in comics? Don't know. Like that's you. You have um. There's a creative twist to how they do nudity, though. Like um, there, there's a creative twist to how they do it. Like it's like they'll put a shadow somewhere. Yeah, I mean from an artistic light. <laughs> yeah, from an artistic standpoint, it does uh, force you to be creative. But I was just thinking, like over at Image and stuff like that, they have Saga, which has nudity in it, and uh, Sex Criminals by Brubaker that has sex in it, and and that's completely fine. But it's always funny that DC and Marvel, they have no problem showing gore, but when it comes to you know nudity, they're like, no, we're good. Even if it's like significant to the plot, nope, no, we're we're not gonna go up. No, we're good. No boobies. Like they, Mr. Manhattan is, uh, he wears underwear. <laughs> <laughs> Schwanz is just hanging there in the movie. La, 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 la. Just, she just wears underwear, and I'm like, come on, like if this, like I. His nudity would make sense because he tra his intelligence just transcends everything else. Why the hell would I wear clothes? <laughs> <laughs> I'm right. too intelligent to wear clothes right now. <laughs> well, think about the Incredible Hulk. The stupidity that the pants still fit. He's like six times the size. The pants would be completely shredded even at the waist. It's just not going to work. And yet we consistently – oh, well, there's those purple pants again barely hanging on for life. I can't uh, – with that one, see, it would make sense because it's like he grows at least, you know, five, six times his normal size. And it's like, oh, keep your pants on. Yeah. The incredible dork is not coming out today. All right, all right. Are <laughs> uh, his pants made out of vibranium? <laughs> uh, Terror Titans, uh, written by Sean McKeever. Uh, Joe Bennett, who's one of those guys, I feel like he started off like at uh, – Gen 13 over at Image, and he's just been consistently like amazing. But he, I think he works better in the DC house than anything else. Um, you know, nothing really flashy, but he's one of those like really consistent guys. I don't, I think in 20 years people forget about him, which is a shame, but just always reliable for uh, getting the action across, get, you know, really good imagery. Um, you know, a lot of what the artist has to do is basically act for the characters, you know, because this isn't live action. You can't hire Robert Downey Jr. to do it for you. You need an artist who's going to express this the way that the audience can, like, really get what's come, you know, what's coming next. What I really enjoyed about this, though, was, like, you mentioned it beforehand. Uh, you say he works better in-house with DC because uh, he definitely has a huge um, 
you know, he's worked everywhere. And like we've mentioned before, a lot of artists, a lot of artists and a lot of uh, writers, they don't really care about DC or Marvel. They'll go wherever they want to go and they'll write whoever story they want to. Um, one, uh, one of the ones that actually caught me off was uh, Birds of Prey. Uh, my girlfriend actually made me read it, and I very much enjoyed it. So that was like my first taste of his uh, his style of writing. Um, and not to mention, I don't know if we've done this one or if you've done it, but he also wrote for G.I. Joe. I have done G.I. Joe, but I did um, an arc fairly early on where it was still it was still Larry Hama. This is before the other artists and writers started coming in where it was just basically controlled by him. Uh, all Marvel issues, but no, I haven't done any of this stuff. It's it's moved studios a few times. I think it's Devil's Doom, and then now it's at IDW. Um, I haven't done any of the IDW. There's too many comics out there. I'm trying to catch up on, and I'm like, ah. <laughs> I, was, I just asked. I just asked because oh. I'm like, hey, you know, maybe he maybe he did a Sorry. Georgia. Maybe I went too far on that Georgia. one. <laughs> My apologies. Uh, there are way too many comics. Yeah, so, Birds of Prey. Uh, um, big fan because I read Chuck Dixon's run, and then Gail Simone took over. And Gail Simone might be the most underrated writer in all of comics. And I totally missed my chance to see her at Free Comic Book Day last week. Uh, um, I was off seeing the Avengers. Um, hey, did you, you uh, score any comics over the holiday? If you consider Free Comic the, Book Day a holiday. <laughs> I, I do. I do. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, at the uh, job that I have, we had a superhero day. So that was pretty cool. Um, I walked out with my Iron Man t-shirt, nice. which was nice. And then... <laughs> Uh, let's see. With the comics that I did score, let me take a look and see what I had. Um, I went to like three different places. Me too. I, I there's like three <laughs> comic book stores, and the funny thing is, I didn't grab a single free comic book because by the time I got to them, they were out. So I just kind of randomly grabbed stuff from my local ones, just like what was in their discount bin. I grabbed uh, the the first seven issues of Ghost Rider, uh, the '90s run when they introduced Danny Ketch. Um, I grabbed some Clerks comic books, some Mad magazines, and a uh, miniseries that I was going to ask you about, if you're interested. It's, um, oh, it's called The uh, Titans and the Legion of Superheroes, Universe of Blaze, which is like a 2000, I think, yeah, the year 2000 miniseries. Uh, it's a four-issue miniseries. The, remind me, remind me. I will. Because uh, I do want to look into that. Cause, uh, no, I'll send it to um, you when I'm done. I did yeah. grab. Yeah. That's even better. The one that I did grab, uh, I grabbed a couple. Um, the one I'm most excited about is Guardians of the Galaxy, the 1969 run. Oh, oh, wow! I didn't even yeah. know there was a 69 run. You know, it's funny is um, I picked up the Star Lord collection, uh, all his original stuff from like those big graphic novels, and I didn't realize that Star Lord was a complete and absolute psychopath. Like I don't even know how he became the hero that he is today because he's fucking nuts. <laughs> I will say. That as far as the comics go, with the newer ones, I think they kind of borrowed from like the movie, so you're not really gonna get like the whole gist of it. Yeah. But if you definitely back, if you go back, you'll realize, oh, okay. And the movie, the movie still tries to capitalize on it, which is nice. Like I, I really do enjoy that he still has his tendencies of doing what I would quote unquote call dumb shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's emotionally unbalanced. Clearly, he's a, he's a man child, uh, and we know why. I mean, he has he's a screwed up child, raised by criminals, <laughs> abandoned by his father. His mother died young, so you kind of get it. Um, did you see the new movie? I'm assuming you have. I've seen it twice. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> Everybody's angry about his decision, but I was like, did you pay attention to the first two movies? It makes complete sense. He, he doesn't think before he acts. It, that's the whole point of the Like, nobody in that entire team thinks before they act. No, it's just... Like, that's the whole just... Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> what, you, what they do have... Uh, so I grabbed the original from 1969. I also grabbed one from 2008 because I just received some bad news. Um, I don't even know if this is a spoiler or not. Should I, should I spoil a tiny bit of the movie? Oh, no. We, the episode we did before this, we spoiled it all. So, uh, everybody, Avengers spoiler. Okay. Go ahead. All right. Adam Warlock is not going to be in any of the Avengers books. What? Uh, in, in the Infinity at all. But you and I... At all. Okay, you you know the Infinity War... Uh, or Sorry, the Infinity Gauntlet <laughs> miniseries that we read a couple years ago. That was like the big thing is it's Adam... The trifecta is Adam Warlock, Silver Surfer, and Doctor Strange. True, Drax and Hawk are there, but they're kind of useless. But it's those three that really, like, figure out how to stop Thanos. And I get the feeling that the guys who wrote the script must have known. So they're just trying to outwit us. I mean, the movie surprised me. Every time I thought something was going to happen, it didn't happen. I was like, son of a bitch. <laughs> the, my biggest problem was, like, it's not even a problem. Now it's like everybody that died, I was, I was kind of expecting, I expected maybe four, maybe five deaths, right? Yeah. Four to five. And deaths. I expected someone to be the old uh, school. You know, let's clean house. Let's get rid of this yeah. guy and this guy. They've been around for 10 years. And they killed off everybody. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. When I did not expect Doctor Strange to die because, like you said, he's pivotal to the entire plot. He's pivotal to, the, to, to taking him down. And I just sat there in the theater like, this is crazy. Yeah, I mean, what are they well, their, their whole next cycle, they're gone except for Ant-Man. You know, Black Panther's gone, Spider-Man's gone, Doctor Strange is gone, um, Guardians of the Galaxy are gone for the most part except for Rocket. And uh, and you're basically left with, almost every single person left is the original Avengers. And we don't know what happened with Hawkeye, we don't know what's going on in his world, and Rocket isn't part of that. But everybody that's still alive is those core seven from the first Avenger movies. And you're like, that's strange. What are the chances of that? <laughs> It's almost like a subconscious on Thanos' part when he wiped out everybody. He wiped out everybody new, and he only wanted everybody that was there from the first battle. Like, he wants to... I don't know. I don't know if it's a subconscious thing, or he intendedly... You know, like, he intends to fight those seven again. I don't think... I think the... Oh, here's the other thing. They ended the movie the way that they ended the comic, where Thanos oh, right. was just... Yeah. But now it's because he's satisfied with winning, where in the comic book he's satisfied with losing because he only wanted the pursuit. He didn't want to actually win. He loved the pursuit of it. But in the comic, or in the movie, he's completely satisfied. But also his reasoning is different. He doesn't kill them uh, trying to appease death. He kills them because he thinks he's saving the universe, which, honestly, you kind of get where he's coming from, though. If he has the gauntlet jewels, why doesn't he just replenish all those resources that are gone? <laughs> Uh, somebody broke it down for me. They said the law of exponents, and that made sense because yes, you could if you doubled the supply, and also like if you doubled the supply, it doesn't matter because we would still use it up. Okay. <laughs> it would take it would take us. It would be better to kill off half of the people and leave the resources as they are versus doubling the resources that we have now. But the half that's left are still going to fuck. 
they're still going to have kids. <laughs> they're going to give birth. This is going to happen again in like a thousand years. He's going to have to do it again and again and again. And uh, why not just why doesn't why don't I just send condoms to every planet? <laughs> just a condom rocket and just drop condoms for everybody. It's raining Trojans. <laughs> Just you know, stab your fingers, and every guy loses his left nut. Jeez. <laughs> um, all right, so Terror Titans. <laughs> we forgot where we were going. Um, Terror Titans is a spinoff, of course, of Teen Titans. I don't know the storyline. If Ravager was red hot, that Green, that uh, uh, DC would say yes to this, or it was just such a good story, which I say it is. That they're like, there's no way we can't publish this. Yes, there's no um, A, B, C list. There's like hardly anybody anybody knows. I mean, I didn't know most of these characters when I was reading this. This is like all new universe. If you were to tell me this is an independent comic, I almost believe you, except for Ravager, because I don't know any of these characters. The, that's the thing that caught me. And I actually, like my first time reading it, I spent more time trying to figure out, okay, who the heck is everybody? I didn't realize. And then Clock King which has been in DC Comics before, um, he kind of got a little bit of a facelift here. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm digging it a little bit. Um, I did like him, but he was also a dick. Yeah. Um, well, he's like the, the way they do the calculator um, during uh, uh, Villains United, where they took this like joke villain and then found a way to reinterpret how he does his thing and made him a serious menace. He is terrified in this, but from what I've known of him, he was a complete and absolute joke. My, and um, let me see, who else that they, uh, they also brought back Miss Martian, which is nice. Um, which you don't know, like he, you just said, gave, he, just, he just gave that away, because that's actually the secret ending. <laughs> oh, God. I was going to get to that. <laughs> Oops. Am I wrong for doing that? I mean, we did nah. spoil Infinity War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like that was ten years in the making. Well, no, we um, assume that everybody reading these story or uh, listening to this episode has read the stories, or I mean, no, okay. So even if we did ruin it for you, dude, there's so much in this comic you have to see. You're taking like Z level characters and making them very fascinating. True, they are like the children of uh, these joke villains, but all the same, they're still unknowns and. That also brings about the fact that you don't know who's going to survive. There's literally nothing here that, except Ravager that's worth selling in the future. You could kill everybody off, and, and it'd be completely fine to the DC universe. I will. I, I won't spoil. I won't spoil the one person that's in it because I thought that was a pretty nice touch when I got to like mm. issue for what was that issue three or issue four? Yeah. Yeah. I, I won't spoil that because I think everybody should be flipping the pages and boom. Oh, yeah. oh my God! What is, what is he doing here? Right. Well, it's because <laughs> no, let's just say this: the character was not part of this universe prior to this moment. Um, DC owned it, but they never um, melded the universes together until around this time. And what, what's surprising is that whole universe is still—I don't think it's ever been collected into trade paperback. Which you're like shocked because, first off, it was groundbreaking. Um, and they did okay for a few years. And in fact, this one character here was very, very popular for even longer after the comic, the uh, what do you call it, label, uh, shut down. And um, it's a great reintroduction into uh, the DC Universe. It was a very nice touch. Um, and then, from what you quoted earlier, yes, this is very dark. This is very edgy. And this is... Uh, um, 
I was actually a little taken back here, um, especially with uh, with uh, Dreadbolt having to do. <laughs> oh right. Having, uh, having to do what he did. He's surrounded by a bunch of murderers, and he's the leader, and nobody likes him because he hasn't murdered anybody. <laughs> yeah, so basically the storyline here, if you don't know this, this is basically taking the standpoint that these sub-level villains, like the children of well-known villains, are being recruited by Clock King to basically uh, team up on younger heroes. Why the younger ones? Not just any superhero, maybe because they're inexperienced. Um, and, and then gather them up and put them into an underground fighting ring. So it's basically like blood sport with superheroes. And they brainwash them to be crazed, you know, uh, killers. And, I mean, they're murdering each other. I mean, some are just beating the crap out of each other. But some of them are straight up murdering. And he recruits Ravager to be part of the villains team, the one that, you know, captures the good guys. And she is uh, powerful and smart enough that Clock King doesn't really fuck with her. Like, he goes, look, you can make this decision on your own. You can lead this team if you want. I'm not going to threaten you. I'm not going to force you to do anything or take any drugs. But uh, if you cross me, then I will be ready. <laughs> Um, kind of to uh, kind of to to uh, go off here. The one thing that did catch me off, and uh, like you said, they definitely brought some different people in here. Star Spangled Kid. Yeah, <laughs> I actually knew who he was. I used to read this comic. Um, I want to say it was All Star Squadron, the Young All Stars, one of those, where it was like had... <laughs> the grandchildren of uh, what is now called the Justice Society of America. Um, he was kind of the star of that comic. I definitely had to double take right there. Uh, I was I, I was reading it. I'm like, am I reading Captain America? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was he was created during the World War II craze, you know. So everything rah rah America. <laughs> um, funny. Here, here's a funny fact: uh, Star Spangled Kid and Captain America came out in the same year. Captain America came out first, then Star Spangled Kid. So, if anybody wants to get in on that, I really won't say anybody's. <laughs> it's a little bit too close to call. It's about a couple months. Right. March and September in the same year. So, <laughs> take that as you want to. I'm not going to say somebody's ripping up the other person, though. <laughs> well, that's kind of notorious, though, in that world, is that they were always battling each other. Like, okay, how is it one has Power Girl, one has Power Man, one has Wonder Girl? Or Wonder Man, but there's a Wonder Woman. It's just funny how you would think that Wonder Man would be in the DC universe, and DC would have thought about that, but no, Marvel got to it first. And not even Marvel, it was like 20 years later is when they thought of it. So it's just kind of funny how it's a little confusing. And I don't know if Namor and Aquaman are at the same time, but you know those two are really close. Who would you who would you put together? Like if it was Namor versus Aquaman, who do you think would win that one? Out? Um. Above the water, Namor's got it. Uh, below the water, Aquaman's got it. Um, but if you're talking from a creative standpoint, Namor is one of the shittiest comics of the 90s. Once John Byrne quit, it was complete trash. Aquaman keeps getting better and better, and I'm actually shocked it's getting so good. I mean, I'm, I used to make fun of him, but I love it now. The um, I will say that Aquaman, they definitely realized that he was the butt of everybody's choke. So I'm very glad that they did make him, you know, an actual hero. Like, he actually went in and kicked everybody's butt in, yeah. a, in, in a few issues, actually. But that's I, I do like that. Like, well, and, and the comics actually kind of turned into a horror comic. They really understood that 
we don't know really what's in the ocean. I mean, we've explored maybe 5% at best of the ocean. There are depths down there that we've, ne we've there's creatures down there you've never even seen. And so the writers were smart and uh, first off, gave him his hand back. That stupid hook thing, the long hair trying to be extreme during the 90s was stupid. But um, <laughs> they brought him back to his original look and said, look, it's not about the extremism. Let's take this character and explore his world. They hardly ever spend any time on Earth and uh, I, I really like the take they've done over the last decade. What the hook? Uh, I, I, I'm not a fan of the hook, but you know what I was a fan of? I was a fan of the hand that he had. Oh, that see-through one? That was actually pretty cool, because that was more functional, was, I think. And plus, you want to poke your eye out if you try to scratch your nose. That, I love the hand, like um, because they even kept it when they went back to his traditional style. And it's a good look, you know. It, it does. It adds a little bit of character backstory. You're looking at the cover of Aquaman. It's like, hey, this guy looks, you know, he looks pretty badass. What's up with his hand, though? And then that's when you, <laughs> you go in a little ways there. So yeah. I did like the hand. The hook? No. Yeah. Well, hook. What do that's you, uh, what do you think about his uh, Jason Momoa's um, portrayal of Aquaman? I will say, I want to see an independent Aquaman film first. Yeah. Um. I kind, I kind of like promise. the I like the surfer bro. I mean, it's completely different than comics, but I kind of like the surfer bro uh, thing that he's got going on with Aquaman. Yeah, I do like it. Like, it shows a lot of promise, but I just need to see it by itself. Yeah, like, I want to see what he can bring to the table as being Aquaman. Um, as far as what DC has, speaking of, as far as what DC has as uh, their superheroes in movies, I like who they have as Superman. I like who they have as most of the people. I just don't like Batman still. <laughs> well, Batman's tired, too. I can't believe they're still going at... What is there new to say about Batman and Superman? There's so much to explore in the DC Universe that they haven't touched. I mean, they do a little bit with the TV shows. But Marvel has had a really good run at making even... The, I mean, no one cared about Guardians of the Galaxy five years ago. When they announced it, everybody was like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Why would you go with a super obscure... You know, And then uh, it worked. And, you know, Doctor Strange was always a sub-character, and he became huge. Ant-Man was a joke. There's no reason. I, I, I didn't know why they were doing an Ant-Man movie. They keep getting it right. When DC, man, they just have all these characters they explore, and they're just like, ah, let's go with what's safe. Let's just keep going back to Superman and Batman. Ah. Because I, I would just be honest. Like, they, they could adopt a lot of these things. Like, I would love to see a Flash movie. Like, a live-action Flash movie. I don't want to watch the one on TV. I want to see it in the theater. Yeah. And I want to see Gorilla Grodd. I want oh, to see yeah. I want to see Reverse Flash. I want to see these big people. I want to see a Green Lantern with all the other Lanterns. No kidding. Every yeah. single... Like, I, w I was telling my friend Jacob that uh, Sean William Scott was tailor-made to play Guy Gardner. <laughs> uh, I, I, I want Darkseid. I would love to see Darkseid. Who would not want to see Darkseid? Darkseid would be like the Thanos to the DC universe and we can't get that because we keep going back to Batman and Superman. Right. But if they do, here's the thing they need to do if they continue with Batman and Superman is Batman, let's explore the darker side, the horror side. Let's go into Clayface. Let's go into Man Bat. You know, the characters that are, you can only do with CGI like, you know, on film. You can't do it on Gotham. And then with Superman, why are we still not seeing like uh, um, Brainiac or, um, Metallo, you know, stuff like that, like characters that they haven't explored. It's always Lex Luthor. I'm like, dude, that you could do Lex Luthor on a $5 budget. Move on. I could 
I could shoot five, I could shoot uh, Lex Luthor film in 48 hours in my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> but Shazam, Shazam's getting a movie, so I'm gonna see where that goes. Yeah, that's something new that they haven't um, attempted before, which and I think it's gonna be a comedy, so it won't have that Zack Snyder touch. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm sorry. Is it? It's black. It's black lightning. I'm sorry. Um, but Shazam should be in it. I hope. You know. Yeah. Even even if you have a villain movie, I still would like to see the hero. Um, but they shouldn't take center stage. What? Uh, um, what is? Have you seen the Black Lightning show? Is it any good? I'm, I haven't touched it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm so far behind on my TV shows. I've never watched. I've watched the second season of Flash, and that's about it. I have stopped. So I've been missing a couple of years. Um, you know they're gonna do this. They're, they're doing the Teen Titans TV show. I, I almost wonder if they're I gonna exhaust that. themselves. I think Teen Titans is more cinematic. It should not be um, a television show. The only television show that I approve of is Teen Titans. It's the original cartoon. Yeah, and now um, they're doing the movie this summer, Teen Titans Go. We can get an animated movie. Uh, we can't get a live action one. Come on, how are they going to afford to do Starfire on television? Really? Don't know. Changeling. Oh, no. I mean, he's green in the first place. That's going to cost, and, and then you have to modify him. Cyborg is taken out of the equation, which is silly because he's a he is clearly a Titans team member. He is not a Justice League team member. They only did that recently. Um, yeah, I don't know where they're That's, going with that. I don't know. Um, speaking of, uh, here here was another thing. Since we're since we kind of moved on here, um, the Venom movie that's coming out. I'm excited for it, but I don't see how he could fit to spider-man that they have right now right is and it, that concerns yeah it doesn't feel like part of the marvel me. universe it feels part of that sony universe that they were working on five years ago when they still had andrew garfield as spider-man so marvel probably signed off on it but i well i guess in the comics he does join the guardians of the galaxy but i don't know if that's ever going to happen <laughs> we'll see we will see we will see but going back to terror titans because that, like I said, still definitely caught me off guard. If you, one person that did pop up that I really liked, and they kind of name dropped him a couple times, Steppenwolf. <laughs> I missed that. Steppenwolf. Where, where was Steppenwolf messing? Mess, yes, uh, he was in here. Huh. Um, I want to say issue two. Uh, Clock King was talking to issue one or issue two. Clock King was actually talking to him, and. You know, they were. It was just kind of like a passing glance kind of thing. You know, it's just like, oh, you know okay. what, Steppenwolf, I, I know you're running it, but I'm like, okay, all right, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, it's issue. I'm actually looking at it right now. Issue one, um, Steppenwolf makes an appearance, and uh, and they also. And speaking of, since we're talking about the Titans as well too, uh, Terra. I'm pretty sure everybody who's watched Teen Titans is very much aware of who Tara is and why that sucks. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if she's the second... I believe she's the second or third Tara because, you know, the other one was um, Geo Force's sister and she looked a little bit different. I mean, of course, her hair could just be dyed. She's brown hair now, but, you know, she died. But, of course, nobody really dies in comic books. They always come back. <laughs> That's the point. Some people do come back. Some people have spinoffs. <laughs> Good spinoffs. Um, I will say, reading this, for whatever reason, I don't know, Copperhead, I really, I really enjoy Copperhead. Dude, he's cool, and, but he, you know, <laughs> he talks about the fact that he's supposed to feel all these emotions, but he thinks he might be a sociopath because he's just pretending. Well, here's the thing, is that since it's all villains, 
they're all like kind of up to no good. They're manipulating each other. They're setting each other up for other things. And yes, the, the heroes are part of this. I think the main focus is probably uh, Star Spangled Kid, who I don't know how he survives. He fights like everybody, and somehow he manages to live through it all. But um, uh, mostly it's about focusing on the villains. And you got these little vignettes between each issues where they focus on how it is that they became the way they are. And it's just, it's, it's uh, eight panels. Wait. Yeah, eight panels, and it tells you everything you need to know about that person, which is really efficient writing and excellent artwork because it's all silent. And that was, yeah, with the introduction with every character, um, that was one of my favorites because you really get an entire backstory. Um, and I know you hate it, but when I, I'm reading the digital, okay? Yeah, well, no, it's just the reason is, and I don't know if I've ever explained it, Yes, I do like having the comic book in my hands. Um, I have some sort of visual trickery with my eye. Um, I have a stigmatism. So somehow how light bounces off my eye can make the muscles hurt like hell and they get super tight. And then when I go to move, it's like vertigo. I mean, it, it basically replicates vertigo. So it makes me really sick and gives me migraines. So staring at the computer for a long time, phone, if, if the sun's too bright, um, if I turn my head too fast and light catches it funny, um, it'll screw up my vision. Sometimes I get like these uh, migraines where whatever I'm looking at, like uh, the last time it happened was I was watching a movie with Joaquin Phoenix and light had hit me from two different sources and uh, somehow scrambled everything in my brain. So it was like a jigsaw puzzle of Joaquin Phoenix's face, but all the pieces were completely out of order. And then the pain that sets in afterwards is like someone drilling into your skull. And that is actually, I mean, I have digital comics, but I never read them because I'm just uh, – I get so nauseous. I guess some people are more prone to it than others. I don't know. The, the, um, the reason – one of the reasons I did like it, um, the way they had this one set up was um, when, I, when you open up a page, it gives you like a cinematic view of it. So um, I, I, I'm beginning – let me see. I'm beginning issue two right now on mm -hmm. my phone. And I swipe and I swipe to go to the next page. And then there's an all black page that says the brief history of the life of Terry. And then I swipe and it shows me the first panel on the first page, the second panel, the third panel. So I get to see each panel take up my entire phone screen. Um, which is a really nice touch. And then like while I swipe, it cinematically moves from panel to panel to panel. Nice. So and it's like then, widescreen. Yeah, and then I think one of my favorite things is when you do get a page and it's big and there's a lot of dialogue boxes and a lot of things going on, it can be a little confusing. Even if you do know how to read the comments left to right, A, B, C, and all, you know the formatting, what they do is this. If I swipe, it shows me what to look at next. Okay, that, which so is better because sometimes I read comics and they're completely out of order. I'm like, wait, was I supposed to, was I supposed to go right? And then it go down, and then right, and then the next page is completely formatted different. That's the only thing. There needs to be some sort of consistency in how they do the panels because I've read some comic books where I'm completely lost. I'm like, I, where's the next piece of dialogue? Where's it go? And then you're like, oh, I'm in the wrong page. <laughs> I, I, that is one thing that I do like. And it's like by the time you get to the, the end of the page, you get to see the entire panel. Well, so Digital um, comics are cheaper too, aren't they? Like quite a oh, bit yeah. cheaper? Yeah. Um, I paid eleven dollars for all of these. If oh. I would have paid, if I would have got physical, I would have been up about thirty, forty bucks. Yeah, 
The problem is, okay, so I go to a place called HamiltonBook.com, and they're an outlet for books and movies and CDs and stuff like that. They signed a deal with DC and Marvel and Image and whatever, whatever the distributor is, probably Diamond, to take all their excess out of their warehouse, and they sell it for super cheap. And if it sits there long enough, it gets down to nothing. So I bought this uh, Terror, Terror Titans. It was $17.99 originally. I got it for $1.99. And I was going to tell you about it. The minute I read it, I was going to go buy a copy and send it to you. And they just go so fast. It's hard to do that. So I feel like a tool. Um, but if you ever go there, like check out their graphic novels and then set it to lowest price or whatever. And you'll see all the stuff. It's like $1.99, $2.99, $3.99. They're trying to clearance out and, and it's like lower uh, supply. I'm not trying to uh, pitch the company. They didn't pay for this. But that's usually where I, that's usually where I get my trade paperbacks. Is it's super dirt cheap, but at the same time, your version, um, the digital comic doesn't take up a whole hell of a lot of space, and you got it permanently. So if you want to download it again later, you got it. Whereas I run out of room, and I have to get rid of stuff. And oh, and then the other thing is, it's on the cloud. I just have to download the app and buy it, and yep. I don't have to download it to my phone physically. Um, you can if you want to, but you don't have to. And I'm actually on this website right now, and it, there is a ton of good stuff on here. Yeah, I got my, I have, a, I have uh, the IDW GI Joe stuff and Transformer stuff. I bought it Humble Bundle, and um, I think I paid like six bucks for like a hundred issues, and I've read one. And uh, I just, it's, it's, it's hard for me to get around to the digital stuff, but uh, someday I will, because actually it looks like one day we'll probably stop doing print copies. I mean, I can't imagine that digital isn't going to take over every single square inch except for like specialty. You know how like Shout Factory exists or records? Those are for collectors. Those are for audiophiles or cinephiles. And there's going to be, yes, they're probably going to be like the higher end comics. There's still going to be some copies available. But in 10 years, I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to cut in 50%. It'll be mostly digital. I will, I will say this. Um, one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that Vinyl sells now. This is the most that vinyls have ever sold. Whatever, ever, ever, or just since the revival? Ever. Really? Ever, ever. Huh? Yes. I want to guess this that. is this is the time. <laughs> this is the time to go buy vinyls. This is why you can go to like any place nowadays, and they have vinyls there because there's money in this market now, yeah. and they're way cheaper and way easier to make than they were years ago. Um, so that that's why, like, yes. Are comics going digital? Yes, they are. Will it be the number one format in 10 years? Probably so. Are physical comics going away? No. There is no chance. People still love having that physical comic in their hand. And though I buy most of my comics digitally, having that, that physical comic in my hand is still like the best feeling ever. Yeah, but you, 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 I don't feel that way with CDs. I haven't bought a new CD in probably six years and movies movies when i buy them i usually go to like the pawn shop or i pull them off the uh the used shelf at some of these stores um the only time i ever buy a new one seems to be when uh oh it's a multi-pack it has all these movies in it it's five bucks oh yeah that's fine <laughs> I, I mean half of them could be junk i'm still making out pretty fine um but yeah everything now is just like i'll just do my voodoo you know so yeah the world has changed and it's strange that people still come into my store and go do you have any VCRs? I'm like, what? You should have moved on from DVD from now. We we were not. No, no, no. See, that's no. 
There's I, a niche market in there. Right. Market. I have a very old clientele, but here's the weird thing is I had like a 17-year-old kid come in yesterday or two days ago and ask for cassettes, like audio cassettes, and he bought a little tape recorder and audio cassettes, and I'm like, are those for your grandfather? He goes, no, they're for me. I discovered cassettes. It's like, oh, that's the worst format you can just, dis- okay. How about vinyl? Vinyl is much better, you know, like why cassettes of all things? It's so weird. Portability, maybe. But I was like, iPods, duh. But I will say this. I will say vinyl is still nice. Yeah, but cassettes are not. Like little cassette tapes, Cassette, are, they sound like no, shit. No, no, yeah. no. Like, like, no. Like you, here's here's what I did. I was doing some research because I, I was like, I was buying vinyls, and I still have like a nice little decent vinyl collection. And apparently, the price to get into having a really good setup for cassette tapes is double that for vinyl. Yeah. Um, you need like to get a really good record player. You need to pay somewhere between two to three hundred dollars for a record player. And then just buy your vinyls and take care of the record player and the vinyls. That's it. You're done. That is your cost of entry. To do that for a cassette tape, you need to pay like five, six hundred bucks just for the rig. And then you have to go buy high definition cassette tapes, (laughs) which aren't, which are rare. (laughs) And you can't really find them anywhere. And I'm, I'm sitting here. I didn't know that was a thing. That's the weird – yeah, it's the weird because there's niche in every single uh, media format. But there's certain – like people who love Laserdisc, I'm like, it, it's the same exact thing except looks better on DVD. Then there's Blu-ray and um, or 8-track, uh, uh, reel-to-reel. I mean are there people who out there who collect reel-to-reel, which is mind-boggling? And Or – okay, what I don't get is when you find a comic book – and you're paying out the nose for something. And it's not like it's the first appearance of some character. It's just some random 70s comic. And I'm like, you know that's collected up like in the, the original. I, I, like, why would you buy this for the same price you could buy a trade paperback, which has that story and 20 others? And they're like, well, it's just you got to feel it in my hands. I'm like, do you feel the book in your hands? Do you like the old ads? That's the only reason to own old comic books is the old ads because some of them are awesome. But that would be the only reason I could see why you would choose between the two. Gotcha. But, like I said, cassette tapes, crazy. Vinyls, yes. Physical copies of comics, do it. Unless it's one of the older ones. Uh, if it has value, yeah. Keep it, buy it, whatever. But if it's one of the older ones, I don't... Eh. Yeah, it's, just, it's weird. Um... The one other story I want to cover because we keep forgetting about this one is uh, one that I sent you, uh, Omega Flight. Not a lot to talk about. In fact, I kind of have amnesia to it because it's been like four months. But uh, okay, do you want to briefly discuss that one or? That, we got time. Why not? Yeah, we got like thirteen <laughs> minutes, so we're good. <laughs> First of all, let's just talk about Canada. Oh, Canada, nice <laughs> your maple syrup costs too much. <laughs> So Canada is a place shrouded in mystery and politeness. I actually seen two people get in a fight on video, and they were both in Canada. Um, they got in a fight, it got physical, and then they just stopped and said, what are we doing today? I just want to go home. And then they just hugged it out. I'm like, that can only happen in Canada. I know, right? It's like oh they, they just stopped going, oh, hey, the maple leaves are going to be playing in about 10 minutes, eh? We should go. They're, 
Now, I don't know if it's a joke or if it's serious, but they said that their money, like they printed off new money a couple years back. They said it smelled like maple leaves. Oh, my God. I always, I always joke that if you were to take a, uh, a vial of crack and empty it and then fill it with maple syrup, it'll cost twice as much. <laughs> I have, Like, Canada is a very, uh, very different place. It was actually, uh, I think my first brush with Canada to realize that it was kind of weird was uh, Cartoon Network had a had a, uh, a show that used to come on called Oh Canada. And it was like some of the weirdest cartoons I had ever seen. Uh, there was a guy, he was making dinner for a date and he accidentally cut his finger off and he replaced it with a carrot. <laughs> and I thought that was hilarious. My mom didn't think it was so funny. <laughs> and she said, don't watch that crap anymore. <laughs> well, you know that but, company Deke, um, I don't know if it's a joke, but it, it developed in Canada, but Deke was a Canadian company. They did tons and tons of animation stuff throughout the 80s and 90s. You see that company, man, it's all Canadian. I think the most famous one is probably Inspector Gadget. <laughs> um, oh, oh, and was it, uh, was it um, Carmen Sandiego? Wasn't she also? I, I think that was a Deke series, yeah, yeah. But Canada is is huge, but there's not a lot of developed land. Most of it is really close to America. So yes, it looks like it should have a massive population. It doesn't. So sometimes getting media there, it's going to be on a lower budget because most of it is funded by the government. And I know that a lot of comic books are printed up in Canada. I don't know why it is there's so few uh, Canadian superheroes. We have Captain Canuck, which is like the only non-label superhero, which I guess he's really popular, but if you look, he's only had like 18 issues. Uh, but most people know, because Wolverine is uh, probably the most famous Canadian superhero, and then Alpha Flight is part of that Wolverine X-Men universe. It's spun off. I'm reading the, uh, the Essential X-Men. I think it's like issue 115 is when they introduce the Alpha Flight. So they've been around for a long time. But with the exception of like that really solid run in the 80s, they're not that well-known anymore. In fact, I think they killed all of them off for a while. And then the storyline I sent you is kind of picking up the pieces after they all die. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's literally like the most Canadian thing ever. <laughs> it's like, hey, here's a, here's a pretty good, and I'm not even going to say pretty good. It was really good. Here's a really good idea and a really good concept where you have, you know, you have a mega fight and alpha fight. Um, <laughs> alpha fights, I guess you could say the good guys, omega fight, the bad guys, and you kill them. I, I believe what you said, both teams are killed both? <laughs> no, I think they just killed the original alpha flight. But the problem with the original alpha okay. flight is that they've killed a lot of them off before and they seem to come back. Like Sasquatch died. Um, I think like three times now, or Wendigo died. I don't know. It just seems like they always die and come back. This time, like, they cloned some. <laughs> they've been cloned. They've been brought back from the dead. I don't know. It's weird. But I also didn't read the series that much. I read a good chunk of it in the early 80s when John Byrne was doing it. And Chris Claremont, I think, was part of it as well. But um, we're at a point where it's like 30 years after their creation. Marvel sees that there's a story there, but it's such a strange one because this time... They're taking American superheroes and teaming them up with Canadian ones, kind of rebuild their team, but also kind of being like um, like an embassy for them, like where both teams can work together on both sides of the border. 
and it's and it's funny you say that because um, what is it? They actually um, <laughs> Alpha Flight actually got a loan from the Shield to actually be initiated in the comics, um, which I, I think is funny. Like <laughs> Canada's like, hey man, we we, we want some superheroes too, eh? So they got theirs. <laughs> From from a little loan from Shield, so now they're set up globally, and I believe Alpha Flight now is like a I wouldn't even say a branch, but they do what they do with the Avengers. Right? Isn't Captain Marvel now like their leader? Uh, at this point, right now. Yeah. I have. Let me see. I think that she's the leader right now, but they still don't have their own series. Like it was just a mini series. I'm not sure about that one. They, this is it's a, very. It's, yeah. It, it's like spinoffs of the. It's like a spinoff of a spinoff because yeah. the thing that a lot of people have to realize is that Alpha Flight has heroes in it. Like uh, here, here's what North Star. North Star is originally an X Men, but he's in Alpha Flight. <laughs> um, they all appeared. Like actually, most of them actually appeared first in x-men in the 80s i believe Mm -hmm. and now we have a spinoff from that and then there's another spinoff because like you said these people have disappeared they're not getting actual show that they're not actually getting anything put out or published which kind of sucks because i'd love to see sasquatch yeah the uh they put the collection out um, but it's the size of a fucking Buick. It's like 580 pages. It's the first 25 issues of Alpha Flight, which is the core. It, when it was like more of a horror story mixed with superheroes. And then the story progressed. I remember it, it came back. It was really hot for a little bit because North Star was the first character to come out of the closet. He was the first gay superhero. And that was really controversial and the sales went up. But then it just died a couple years later. Um, and they tried to bring it back with a whole new team and Gladiator. I think it was... Well, I can't remember the name. I think it's Gladiator is the main star. I could be wrong. No, Gladiator's from... Guardian? Guardian, thank you. Gladiator's from X-Men as well. Um, he's the one with the Mohawk. Um, Guardian, you know, so they cloned him. They brought him back from the dead. His wife was Guardian for a while. So I don't know where the story... This one's weird because it has U.S. Agent. Um, is Beta Ray Bill part of it as well? Am I wrong? Beta Ray Bill is not part okay. of it. Who is part of this team? Because I can't remember. I don't know why I have a complete amnesia to this, except for the fact that U.S. agents there. So let's, let's see. Who they have, like, the... Oh, man, I did not know they were in the cartoon. <laughs> um, the current lineup right now... Um, I'll just... Actually, I have a list of people here. I have Guardian, like we said. Um, he's a scientist from London, Ontario. I think that's Ontario? Ontario? Ontario, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you have North Star. You have Sasquatch, who I think is just a fan favorite. Like you love, uh, I love Sasquatch. <laughs> um, you also have Aurora, who is like another back in the '60s, '70s. She was, uh, you know, kind of a well-known X-Men. Now she's not. Um, you have Shaman and Snowbird. Oh, so that Puck, was... Puck is not there. There's a little guy named Puck who was really, really tiny. He was like a little, I mean, even shorter than Wolverine, and he was insane. That was what we were getting. Okay. That's where we get to next, because now there's, like you said, there is Puck, and there's also, um, I have no idea how to pronounce that. I think it's Marina. Yeah, it has been mm-hmm. Marina. Um, but she is a, um, <laughs> she's actually an honorary, like, that's that's what they are. They are all honorary adventures. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> but Marina is a, um, 
she is a let's say an aquatic subaquatic person she actually has a run-in with namor yeah as well too. she's she was a big part of that universe for a while um also i didn't realize that jessica car or yeah, I thought it was Jessica Carpenter, uh, Je- uh, Julia Carpenter, who was Spider Woman during the '90s when she was in uh, West Coast Avengers. Her name changes to Arachne, and uh, that's a terrible name, but she's part of this team as well. It's it's a weird comic book because it does feel like a hodgepodge. There's like, who do we have that's not currently tied to any of the Avengers comics? Because we have like 18 of them going right now. Okay, grab <laughs> them and throw them into this. We have uh, and I. I'm still not done. <laughs> there's a there's a vindicator as well too, um, but this is was this would be the female version of Guardian, which is like I said, this is very weird. <laughs> there's Murmur, once again, also came in with the Generation X, so that was kind of like with the X Men. That was an X. She's an X Men spinoff character. Yeah. I remember that And then she got spun off even further into Alpha Flight. (laughs) And then there's uh, Radius, (laughs) which, once again, spinoff of a spinoff of another spinoff. Yeah, that seems weird, and it's really surprising that they haven't gained a stronger following. I would love it, though, if they did get brought into the Marvel Universe, and don't do it as a TV show, because trying to do Wendigo or uh, Sasquatch, not Wendigo, I'm sorry, Snowbird, or Sasquatch on a TV budget, it ain't gonna happen. It's gonna look like shit. I'm very like I think this is um I think what they should do is just have a cameo. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, give them a cameo. Yeah, throw it into uh, Avengers or something. Say here we're starting to. Here's what I think should happen after Avengers four is they should spin everybody off. Let's start breaking the team up. There's West Coast Avengers, uh, Alpha Flight, and regular Avengers. And maybe focus on them a little bit because I love the West Coast Avengers and Alpha Flight is really cool. Alpha Flight had a character called Box. First off, that's a shitty name. And two, he was a. <laughs> of course, it's Canada, so it's like this bland, washed out version of Iron Man. It's just. It, I think he was a paraplegic. Yeah, Box. That's it. He has no use of his limbs, and they just name him Box. This, this terrible decision. <laughs> oh my god. Um, I think the only thing that might be weirder than Alpha Flight are the Alpha Flight villains, because <clears throat> none of them are major players. No. They, you've seen them before, you've heard of their name, uh, but they're none of them major players. One of my favorite would be Master of the World. Um, <laughs> Lame. Was it Vincent Price? You're not going to get that joke, but that's a really obscure reference. <laughs> but this guy's a caveman in Asia. So I'm, I'm like, what? What? Is, how, did, how did he get from Asia to Canada? What? <laughs> yeah. Um. Th- there's also a uh, Wendigo. Yeah, and Purple Man. Purple Man, which you'll know from the Jessica <laughs> Jones TV show, but seriously, just Purple Man. Terrible name. Purple Man. There's also, um, I think this is probably the worst one, and we'll probably, we probably won't see this. Um, Pink Pearl. Uh, nope, never in a million years. That sounds like a porn title. And, okay, so let me tell you why we would never see Pink Pearl. Pink Pearl is a, um, what's the nicest? She's obese, and oh. it gives her, her obesity is her strength. What? <laughs> 
So she's like a female version of Blob in the uh, X-Men universe. Oh, I, I just said yep. the word Blob. and I didn't mean it to like that, people. Don't get upset. <laughs> uh, she even... <laughs> after, after losing against Alpha Flight, she opens up a male strip club. <laughs> you can't make this up. Like, this is... This is literally, like, the best, worst, greatest mashup of all time. <laughs> yeah. Just will never see these things coming. Yeah, this it's a weird comic. I'm, I'm ready to explore it, but, man, I look at the Omnibus, and it costs $65. And I'm not riding that train, man. <laughs> I, tr- I, um, I grabbed a uh, sample comic, and... It was just, it's pretty much like a what the fuck ride the entire time. Yeah. It's just, just what the, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's a great series, though. I think everybody should at least read it once just for the laughs. It's, you'll like it ironically and unironically. All right, so we are at the hour point. Oh, we're beyond the hour point. Hey, um, that is it for us here at Comics on Infinite Earths. And, um... That's funny. We start off. We're we're gonna do a half hour episode, whatever. I have fun doing it. I don't care if it goes an hour as long as it doesn't know you. Um. So the next episode of doing Jacob, we're gonna discuss the Ghost Rider horror line of Marvel, and uh, you and I will discuss something to do for the next episode. And um, that's it. Have a good night. Right. What? Good night, guys. Yeah. See you. stopped the aliens, but it didn't kill them. Instead, the aliens lapsed into a state of deep hibernation. Now the aliens have been resurrected, more terrifying than before. In 1953, aliens started taking over the world. Today, they're taking over our bodies. is Harrison Blackwood. These may be the last words I ever speak on this earth. Hey everybody, welcome to Next Planet Over, a podcast devoted to sci-fi, fantasy, and horror TV shows. I'm Michael, your host, and Ron, thank you for coming What's back. It's, it's been a gap. It's, it's been a while. It's, you, it was supposed to be like yeah. you and I guiding the show, but things happen, so we've had guests come in for the last few months. Um... Still, it's really hard. It's really hard to do the show because you want to watch more than one episode. You want to continue, and then you realize, oh my god, it's been two months. <laughs> <laughs> right? I understand that. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm bouncing around with uh, six different shows right now, just kind of testing the waters. The only one that we did, the original plan here, and this is why the show's taking long, everybody, I'm sorry, is that it was supposed to be uh, we watch the pilot episode and maybe we have a brief discussion about it and then we decide whether or not we continue beyond the pilot. That's what the guys over at Above the Airwaves have done. They've been much more consistent with episodes than we have because I find myself going, well, let's go beyond the first episode. Then you find yourself watching the entire series. You're like, oh, what have I done? Whoops. Well, that's the nice thing about this podcast is that the series is a little shorter, smaller. Some of <laughs> them, yeah. I mean, the, the focus was to do shows that were shorter-lived. I would say under 60 episodes. Um, right. You know, don't, don't have a legacy, don't have sequels, and that didn't work. That's why you see a Buffy episode early on. Um, and I think we did another... Actually, no, Buffy's the only one that I've done where it was long-lasting. Uh, the, the other guys did a, um, Quantum Leap which, uh, oh. of course, was on for five seasons, which I thought was on for so much longer. But How do you stop watching that? Right, well, I did. I did stop it because uh, I bought the first two seasons, and the first season was kind of slow. And it's not very heavy. It really isn't heavy on the sci-fi elements in the beginning. It's more spiritual. It's, um, mm-hmm. it's not until, I think, season three where they really start cranking up the budget and get a lot of uh, special effects in, and then the stories get a little uh, more intricate. I don't know, I just bailed. Right. The first season's rough, because you can see it's very, very low budget. Yeah, I, I had a thought, and it escaped me. Okay. <laughs> the, uh, there's some shows that we did early on that maybe I can bring over to this for Full Throttle, which is the podcast we did before this. Because, um, you know, like we discussed Auto Man and Airwolf, which are kind of like... Airwolf isn't sci-fi, but it's like that one step beyond reality kind of thing. Yeah, um, definitely. In Knight Rider, Highwaymen, stuff like that. Um, so, so far in the show, we've discussed Firefly, John Doe, uh, Buffy... Um, I can't... We, we, you know, the ones that we... You know, the, the ones that were outside, the ones that we did, you know, because we did Werewolf and Briscoe County and stuff like that. So trying to get back on schedule, just it's really hard. We're going to have to pick shorter series, I think, because right now I don't know how we're going to get through. <laughs> and War of the Worlds is only on for two seasons, which is the discussion for this episode. Um, right. Also the idea of like combining two shows together, hopefully it gets a bigger audience. That has also been a challenge because you're just like, uh, it took me so long to finish the first one, I can't get to the second. Right, right. And most... Most of these shows we have to find online. I mean, some of these rare shows like Probe, you know, only exist in crappy YouTube versions. Off of VHS dubbed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the VH tape somebody had in their basement, you know, for 14 different days. Record over every time they need to use something. I think it's weird that people yeah. still have those tapes because I don't know if I was unusual because I just reused my tapes over and over. Uh, some yeah. stuff would last longer, like the Voyagers tapes lasted till they broke in Briscoe right. County, but then there were some who were just like, well, I'm sick of watching this. I watched it like 50 times. Let's erase Revenge of the Nerds too, <laughs> and tape something else on it. Well, thankfully, Briscoe came out later in life, and now I have it on CD form, and I don't have to worry about that crap, but um, CD, CD. Yeah, I didn't want to correct you there, but I was like, uh. Well, nowadays, people are like, what's that? Yeah. Anyway, um. A physical format? Is it from Shout Factory? That's like the only reason, because they have all the special limited editions and covers and so like that. Um, War of the Worlds is being re-released real soon here. Warner, or, uh, Paramount's putting together a collection because the other two were out of print, and it was getting kind of pricey. 
I think I think what they're noticing now is they can make some revenue in streaming and then just do a budget title, you know, for stores. That way, at least people get to see it that couldn't afford it before. Right. Uh, so one thing I liked about this one is it, how heavily it tied into the original movie. Yeah, you know, a lot of the uh, movie spinoffs were failures, and I think a lot of it is because it wasn't connected. Just getting one cast member from the TV show who desperately needed a regular job is not the mm-hmm. same as continuing the storyline. This is a direct sequel, yep. and it, no, not to the Tom Cruise one, everybody. I'm talking the no. 1950s. It's it's amazing how well that 50s movie holds up. The the I think it's because it's one of those very first like new color scheme, you know, widescreen, just a beautiful view. Um, which I've I've heard that uh, what what movie was it they used that footage in? I swear it was like uh, like uh, Explorers or something like that where they're watching on the TV. And I didn't know what it was. War of the Worlds? Yeah, do you remember the Explorers with River Phoenix and Ethan Hawke? Where yes. They build the space? Okay. I'm pretty sure that that's the first time I had ever heard of the War of the Worlds. Now, I, I didn't see the movie until about a decade ago. Um, but I had seen the TV show when it aired. This is one of those Fox fillers before Fox became like a full-fledged network. So, you know, you had your Saturday night and Sunday night stuff on Fox. And then slowly they would evolve to you know, like Mondays and Thursdays and stuff like that. But in the meantime, those independent stations needed something the show besides reruns and in the late 80s is when they really started to uh crank out the syndicated fare which was stuff that usually wasn't good enough to make the networks but it wasn't garbage some people would argue with me on that (laughs) (laughs) there's excuse me there's two other shows that i want to discuss in this uh on this show that were syndicated from my uh younger years was um super force and Nightman, two shows that were widely ridiculed. Nightman. Yeah, they were on for like two or three seasons. I enjoyed them, at least at the time. I haven't revisited them since. But syndication is where you went and found all those weird sci-fi, horror, fantasy shows because networks were not interested in them. Now it's it's everywhere. Every single network has a slate of otherworldly fare. I'm glad for that because that's my, that's my fare. Well, I mean, you and I... You know, we grew up watching these shows that were canceled constantly. And the only thing that ever seemed to last beyond one season was, you know, in syndication. Because the budgets were lower. They were usually shot in Canada. They maybe had one name in it. And uh, maybe maybe it wasn't the most well-written or best directed. But it was what we were looking for that wasn't in movie theaters. And, you know, you get to continue the adventures every week. It was kind of like my favorite sandwich at Arby's. Every time I find one, they cancel it. <laughs> the limited edition. It's all gonna kill it's you my anyway. Fault. I, <laughs> I know it's not that good for you, but it's so tasty. Right. <laughs> I enjoy it. The uh, so '88 is like uh, Paramount was experimenting with syndicated shows. So they had they had you know struck gold with Star Trek: The Next Generation, and you know huge ratings, tons of revenue coming in. So. This is them seeing, hey, what else can we put out there that will gather an audience? Because they had toyed with launching the Paramount Network in 86. And they bailed, and then Fox, for some reason, you know, <clears throat> came into those same stations that were negotiating for Paramount. You know, and, and look, you know, they, they hit the ground running. And UPN wasn't until like 94, 95, and that was a huge failure. I mean, they tried for like eight years to get UPN, you know, successful, but nope. 
just too late. If they had hit when Fox had hit, I think they would have been better off. Yeah, unfortunately, sometimes that's the way it goes. So, War of the Worlds. Jump the gun. Yeah, it's, well, I mean, if you look at a lot of that 90s, 2000s uh, era UPN, it all seems like the same kind of stuff that would have showed up in syndicated 10 years before. Uh, Enterprise, um, Special Unit 2. There was one where it was like 10 years from now and, and there's a coup and the military has taken over the country and they're after this one group. Freedom. It's called Freedom. Um, that was kind of a cool sci-fi next, you know, just and then not too distant future kind of TV show. I can't find episodes of that anywhere. There's a um, character in this, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, I didn't get to that part where we saw Adrian Paul in this at all. I didn't get to any of those episodes. Oh, really? Okay. Those, but, okay, um, I'll say this, they're, you can't watch them on an app. For some reason, they won't work, work on a YouTube app. I had to watch it on the computer, um, at, on the YouTube site, because um, the audio is all jacked up. Is it really? Yeah, I don't know why it won't read properly in an app. So you, if you want to see the episodes, of course, you could not be you know, stingy like we are, but uh, you could actually go buy the set. But you know, if you just want to check it out, season two is really messed up. It's either horrible additions where it's barely audible and the, the picture's terrible, or the audio is screwed up, so you have to watch it on the computer. Well, his character was one of those – I remember this vividly. I didn't remember a whole lot from the show other than – I loved the show to begin with. I love War of the Worlds. I'm one of those few rare people that actually listen to it. I don't remember. Is the radio play based on a book or was it? Well, you know, no. Yeah, the book. Yeah. Pretend you didn't just say that because that's a little better. (laughs) H.G. Wells wrote that book long before the radio. H.G. Wells, that's right. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Usually I'm better at this. But okay, so the radio play is the first time. I don't think I've ever read the book. That's sad. Um, But the radio play is the first thing I'd ever heard. And I used to go to the library every day after school to either play on the old app two E's or listen to the audio cassettes, um, old time radio shows and things like that. And that's where I first heard of World of the Worlds. And when it came out, when this came out, uh, that's how I jumped on the bandwagon. But there's one thing I remember about it. There's that name, John Kincaid, that Kincaid, for whatever reason, stuck in my head. And that is my go-to name whenever you know i'm playing a game or something like that yeah. what's what's your what's your avatar name it's, no, yeah yeah King oh King. you did that <laughs> do you remember the radio play that we or not radio play we tried to do sketches um yes on radio and then you're you're you were the host you were like the the straight man and then we'd had all the crazy characters come in and do voices and stuff like that but your radio voice was max kincaid do you remember this mm-hmm. maxwell kincaid yep <laughs> um <laughs> I think only once did you do – you did like a Australian voice or something like that. It did something really silly, but we lost that damn tape. I don't know what happened. It was probably happened. really bad. Maybe it was. <laughs> I don't know. But we thought we were going to be like sketch – you know, either do like our own version of what they're doing on the state in Silent Live but in radio form. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Kincaid's a really – I think of – what is it? Um, uh, Bowfinger where they have the alien invasion and the guy comes out and like, Kincaid. And I'm like, oh, Rod would love that. <laughs> that was a good movie. Yeah. Also about alien invasions, Chubby Rain. Uh, I heard, first heard of War of the Worlds because, uh, of course, of the TV show, but there was a film, I think it was on ABC, it was a TV film about the dramatization of the first time that the radio play had aired and people lost their friggin' mind. Now, mm-hmm. you might have remembered they showed this to us again in radio class, uh, Mr. Walker. Yes. Yeah. No, it's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's, you sit and think about 
the new tech and that sort of thing and what that would do to people. You never even think about something like that actually happening. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> you sit down for a radio program, you know, is dramatization. And seriously? <laughs> Were that gullible? Well, I mean, if you didn't catch the beginning, I guess. Um, so originally this was supposed to be a TV show in the 70s. Budget restrictions wouldn't allow it. So in the 80s, I still say budget restrictions didn't allow it. This show is no. tight. It's about the characters. The reason it works is because the way it's filmed, it has a very dark, moody, almost horror element to it. And um, they had to make... stuff in here. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, I, I'm, it always aired late at night. It always seemed to air at like yeah. 10 o'clock on, on Fridays and Saturdays. Um, it, it must have been like the kind of like when Freddy's Nightmares and Jason or Friday the 13th, the series would air, you know, that, the Tales of the Dark Side, stuff like that. You know, that seems like the kind of time frame they would show. Because I cannot imagine they show this at like, oh, right after cartoons, they're over. Let's show War of the Worlds and kids are like traumatized forever. It, it scared the crap out of me, though. I was 11, and I remember certain episodes, like, they're just taking over their bodies. That person's dead. What? <laughs> just make, makes me broadly aware of the fact that my our parents back then really didn't know any better. The ratings really didn't mean much, except for the, you know, the extreme ones. Like, well, my I, mom had no clue what I was watching. I, I don't think it. I think it was so much, not so much that my parents didn't really coddle me except with full on horror because I was a sensitive child. And even then, they they started to relent. But you know, I mean, I got to watch the Lost Boys and watch Squad Critters, Gremlins. You know, you warm yourself up first before you watch right, the right. slasher stuff. Which now reflecting on, I wish I hadn't seen some of the slasher stuff because, with the exception of maybe Halloween, they're all they're not, they're not well made. No. I like the monsters. I like I like aliens. I love uh, vampires, werewolves. You know, I like the the ones with mythology. You know, the ones that are otherworldly. Especially like the ones that are sympathetic. And aliens uh, in this are not sympathetic in what in any way whatsoever. So you don't ever feel for them. They're just a constant villain. What so, was the movie? Well, I guess this is going to tie off of our other one, but just short snippet into V. Where that actually was the case, there were some that were right. They're they're sympathetic to the cause. They didn't want. They're escaping a dying planet. You know, they're coming to ours and they want to share. But you know, the leaders don't want to share. They just want to take over. You know, the funny thing is about V is that it's a metaphor for World War II, and I kind of actually see it as a metaphor for us. uh, You know, the white man coming to America and wiping out the Native Americans Mm -hmm. instead of sharing, we destroyed them and took over. Yep. That's weird. I just, it's unfortunate in our past sometimes. Yeah, just, yeah. We just got to learn from it. That's the only thing you can do is learn from your past. If, if, that's and, right. And not repeat that same damn mistake. Uh, real quick. And not flip it around. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, and like yeah. most most of the genre stuff that was in syndication, shot in Canada, so it's mostly a Canadian cast. I think Jared Martin is the only one who is not Canadian. Jared Martin is one of those guys that somehow acted for a really long time but not really well known for anything. Like he's not—he's not like a guy who was popular for a while and his career started to wane. And he ended up in syndication. He's just one of those survivors, you know, one of those character actors. I know him yeah, from. I uh, know who he is. Yeah, uh, he was on—he da- was on Dallas for a while. He was in uh, two short-lived, uh, or sorry, he was in a short-lived series, The Fantastic Journey, which I've never seen. Maybe that's why he has kind of the sci-fi. Oh wow, his roommate was wow. Brian De Palma. What? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it looks like he's got a lot of one-time, yeah, one-time episode or yeah, whatever. Westworld, yeah, the technician. <laughs> uh, the new Gladiators is what I know him from. It's an Italian film 
that uh, no one recognizes as being like, okay, so we know Running Man, the story, you know, the Richard Bachman story is not the same as the movie. Uh, It changed dramatically. If you watch the new Gladiators, someone must have seen this movie four years earlier and took some influence from it because it's got all the big uh, uh, boisterous TV stuff. You know, it's got the colorful characters, the costumes. It's not a good movie, but it's a fun movie, if that makes sense. Like, it's not, like, critically acclaimed. It's not going to have, like, high level, but it's it's a lot of fun. It's nonstop action, and Jared Martin is just a good, strong-jawed hero in it. It's also got Fred Williamson. It's it's um basically in the future they have gladiators come back to um, give you know the, the the economy that's falling apart. Those people are like desperate. They're angry and they want to be distracted or they're going to kill the people who have taken away everything from them. And they give them the games, the new gladiator games, and that like, that cures mm-hmm. their bloodlust and rage. So it keeps them sedated so that the government can still keep controlling everything. Which is a big element in The Running Man. Yeah. Does it say anything about me that I remember him as Dusty Farlow? What is Dusty Farlow? Dallas. Oh, I've never, I've never seen <laughs> Dallas. Dallas. So I don't know. I know some people who are um, really, really into Dallas. Like they know all the episodes. I, I've never seen any of them. I can't remember a whole lot about it. I just remember him uh, and a few other characters out of that. But that's how I remember him. But... Probably because he was in multiple episodes and not just one. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's there's so many. During during the 70s and 80s, there's so many of those big, big epic uh, dramas. They're like miniseries. You know how there was all these, like, everybody's in this. And, and there's like 40 different stories going on at once to tell this big epic story. And then someone's like, how about we do this on a weekly basis? You're like, how can you afford that? And it's like, get no-name actors except Larry Hagman. <laughs> exactly. And then it was just spin off after spin off. Linda Evans, you know, was a name, I think, you know, and so was what's the other lady's name? Joan Collins on Dynasty. And there's, there's Falcon Crest and there's the Colbys. I've never seen a single episode of any of these shows, so I shouldn't even be talking about them. Yeah, those are the one things my mom did watch, and that's probably why I know it. But yeah, I've never seen any of them. It's, uh, the only I think I may have seen one episode of Dallas just out of curiosity because I was a fan of uh, those kickboxer movies. And Full House, mm-hmm. not Full House, Step by Step. Sasha Mitchell, I guess, was on Dallas. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. He did a, an arc. I think he was one of uh, the Ewing kids or something. Um, so Jared Martin just passed away, sadly. But he was 75, so that's a good long life. Uh, yeah. yeah, so the, he's the only American actor that's in this. We also have Linda Green, who apparently did nothing after this. I was just Seriously? like, yeah, just like bit parts. She was in the Ramona TV series and War of the Worlds, and then that was it. She looks very familiar. I, yeah, like... I guess she just must look like somebody else. Uh, Philip Aiken, he only made the first season. Um, oh, no, he's not Canadian. He is Jamaican, but he moved to Canada when he was a child. That's still, I still count that as a Canadian actor. Um, he, he is part of the problem of the show, and, and I don't mean necessarily him. But here's the weird thing about Canadian TV shows during the 80s and 90s. I feel like they were always treating black people as the safe sidekick. Like there's no... Mm -hmm. Well, at the same time, though, you can say that's actually a benefit because they're not playing to the cliches. I'm thinking of that movie Hollywood Shuffle where he's always talking about the fact that he's a black actor and he only gets uh, cast as like servants or hoods. So forget what I just said. 
Um, but I always think it's weird that they're always just like, I've got a cheap joke to make. And I was like, could you give him like a real in-depth character? He can be funny and still be like layered instead of just being like, I'm the computer tech guy. I'm, I don't know. It just seemed like it was, they're playing it too safe, but I don't know what the culture is in Canada either. Was it like Richard Chavez with the, his name, Iron Horse? Yeah. Come on. (laughs) Anyway. The um, he's the uh, what do you call the typical warrior? I suppose I, I guess that's not such that's a bad thing. But it's, it's not. Bad. Yeah, that's another thing where it's not layered. It's 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 just that one level. He, yeah. I, you Nothing. know, he, he's the only guy from Predator <laughs> not to get anything after Predator. <laughs> oh, that's not good. Yeah, it's like yeah. every single person in Predator, and he's only one of two small guys. He survives, I think, until almost the very end, where he gets, I think, hit in the head. And he dies. But um, if you look at everybody from that movie, they've all gone on to other things. You know, Rich, uh, um, Shane Black, of course, is one a huge director and writer now. Um, yeah. And then everybody else is beefy, like huge. And Richard Chavez is not a wimp by any means. But when you look at everybody else, you're like, oh, you're the right. tiny guy. <laughs> you're like, not... Oh, my gosh, you're right. I'm like, he's still working. Oh, yeah. But it's all bit parts. Yeah, it's a lot of direct-to-video stuff. I remember right after this, he did some, like, Cynthia Rock Rock TV show, which was kind of a, or not TV show, uh, Cynthia Rock Rock movie, which were always direct-to-video garbage. Yeah. Uh, always playing on Cinemax, and you'd watch them anyway, because at least it had action in it. <laughs> I could do that. I don't know. All right, so uh, back to Philip Aiken. He was like your quintessential go-to actor during this era. He has worked so much, um, but nothing that you really know. It's it's he's in the Expanse, which is a apparently yes. a critically acclaimed. I haven't watched it yet, but I have it in my queue. I've seen about three episodes so far, and it, it he, looks really good. He was in the Goosebumps TV show, Highlander: The Raven, which is the terrible spinoff. I just ugh. speaking of Adrian Paul. Um, I feel like Highlander was something that everybody watched. Everybody talked about mm-hmm. it. was so popular, but no one talks about it now. Yeah, we didn't like it at all, did we? Nope, not at all. We went to – how many of those movies did <laughs> – <laughs> right. Well, he saved that franchise too because I remember three not doing very well. But they're like, the show is so popular. Let's bring in the new guy. And he was supposed to have his own trilogy. And I think they only made two. And that last one is so bad. The source. Yeah. It's a sad day, hands off type of day. Yeah, but between War of the Worlds and Highlander, he did a pilot for a superhero TV show called The Owl, which you can find on YouTube, but it never made it past the pilot episode, which is kind of a bummer. A weird War of the Worlds. It's not a spinoff from this show by any means, just the story in general. But have you ever heard of the War of the Worlds musical? Uh, what? <laughs> they make a musical about everything now? Right. It's actually very good. It's very, um, I don't know if you call it 80s, whatever, when this was actually released. But um, it, remember the the group Sabotage that did that, um, a lot of like those rock opera type things? No. No. I know Dream Theater. Too. <laughs> but it's, it's very much like that. It's very okay. rock opera-ish and everything. And it's set to, it's there's an orchestra out front and everything. And there's some overlap. Um, speaking dialogue and what have you, and then there's a screen up in the back. And they've got characters that come out and speak or act or sometimes sing, that type of thing. It's really good for what it is, but it just took me by surprise. Huh. 
I, I clicked on it thinking this can't be good. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so the other thing that Phil Eichen did around this time was he was in the Swamp Thing episodes. He was he did a, an arc on that, and then he joined Highlander for a season, which must have been mm-hmm. like, why? No, he didn't. Here's the thing is a lot of these shows when they go into syndication and they're not getting the ratings they want, they either change the concept or they kill off some characters, which um, is one thing I really hated about Airwolf. Um, they killed off everybody in the first episode. Then you're, you're like, I don't know these characters. What do I care? Um, in the first episode of season two, they kill off two of the major characters. They kill off Richard Chavez and Philip Aiken. And then Adrian Paul comes in conveniently in that same episode is like, Hey, we used to work together. This is our connection. I'm like, yes, I'm younger and better looking than you. <laughs> Taking your role. So it's more of a road show. They're, they're on the run from the aliens instead of, you know, them going at, you know, because the whole, whole first season is them discovering and then, you know, kind of doing like under the radar kind of attacks to stop them. But they're more after the aliens. Now the aliens are after them in season two. And uh, I think they wanted to make it more action-focused, so Adrian Paul, uh, you know, is kind of like the guy who does all the punching, kicking, and shooting, and running around, or whatever, which I guess is okay. I mean, I don't think Richard Chavez was a slouch in that department either, so I'm not sure why. Maybe maybe Richard Chavez wanted out. I don't know what the reasoning is for changing the cast. No. Yeah, like I said, I didn't wasn't able to get to that part of that second season. I just... Too much time in dead uh, space right there. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Welcome to live. Um, yeah. But I, I I do very much remember liking him very much, but I didn't remember, I'd forgotten that he had actually replaced Richard Chavez. Yeah. Uh, but I guess Paramount's focus was on Friday the 13th, the series, because I guess they maybe had washed their hands of War of the World, but it was just enough to keep going for another season. Um so, you know, Franklin Coos is out, so that's like, I think whoever took over the show just decided to, you know, retool it in their vision. Second season isn't as good. The mystery isn't fun anymore. It's more just kind of, uh, you know, some of those shows have the setup. That's the problem with V, is a lot of the episodes are, oh, it's the same pattern. Oh, the aliens have captured us, or, or they have yeah. us in this situation. Oh, they have this major plan. We found a way at the last second to stop them. Oh, they're defeated, but they're still after us. We got to get going. And it's the same thing, the problem with rewatching uh, The Incredible Hulk. It's the same thing. It's the same pattern. So you really don't need to watch the whole show. In fact, I just watched the very last episode of War of the Worlds. I could not tell you what happened. I don't remember. And it was just 48 hours ago, and I don't remember. That's terrible. I wasn't even on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> I put it down. I put it aside. Yeah. I feel like they um, might... I'm trying to remember. I think is when they introduced maybe the virus that they have in the movies. And and then they defeat, well, they defeat one of the major villains. and But it's not over. Like, they didn't know the show was going to be canceled. So they still have some sort of ground to go on. But this is where I fail you guys. Because... Um, uh, the show was so mediocre at the end that I just had instant amnesia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I wish I'd have gone to the end to see that, but I'm going to probably have to suffer through that now. Thank yeah. You. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, at, so the next episode we will do is V. I'm going to try to get you some episodes so you can watch those. Um, but I was thinking after that going in the complete opposite direction and maybe doing uh, some space shows. Like, uh, we're having outer space come to Earth. Now, how about we go from Earth to outer space with Battlestar Galactica, the original series, and Buck Rogers. Nice. 
Works for me. Nice. All right. Um, so that is about it for us with this episode. Sorry it was so long between um, doing the show together. Uh, of course, I had a tragedy in my life, so I just couldn't deal with doing any podcast for about a month or so. Um, and then, you know, it's just it's harder when you and I work totally different schedules and you got kids and stuff like that. And we don't live anywhere near each other. So that's kind of part of the reason for the delay. We'll get it ironed out one of these days. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I got nothing else. Little, hey, uh, <laughs> I'm driving, so we'll be good, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, summer's coming up, so you know your schedule is going to change too. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll get a VT eventually. But in the meantime, uh, thank you to all the guests who have filled in on episodes. Yes. Uh, we have thank some other so guests much. coming in for we're going to do Logan's Run, the TV series from the '70s, and nice. Man from Atlantis. Those should be coming up in the next month or so. And uh, you know, I just uh, there's so many shows out there to do, so many. So don't expect an end to this any day soon. Um, so if you are interested, sign up, uh, not sign up. There's, yeah, could you fill us out and give us your social security number, uh, your PayPal account? Um, no, we do have a Patreon for Retro Rock Entertainment, which is the network that I run for all of our podcasts. Um, even a buck a month would be great because my recorder's shot. I'm just using a backup plan here. Um, yeah. and check us out on Facebook under that same thing, uh, Retro Rock Entertainment, or you can come over to the Next Planet Over fan page where we discuss and share news about upcoming, um, releases for sci-fi, fantasy, horror, DVDs, movies, you know, you know, you know, sometimes they adapt them into movies. Uh, that's great. And then like articles about shows that have been forgotten. Give it a shot. Uh, Give us a shot. I have no idea how to end episodes. Like I don't, sometimes I'm like so on... Point, but I'm just going to say bye-bye. Can we just sing and fade out like they did back in the day? <laughs> Who? Wait, who sang in the back of the day? What are you talking about? Like old records where it just slowly fade away? Just repeat the old same chords? Nobody knew how to end a song. They just faded out. Yeah, that's <laughs> weird when they do that. And then you got punk rock coming in the 70s, and they're just like, da-da-da-da-da-dum. That's it. And then the next track. Done. One, two, three, four. <laughs> Drop the mic. We're out. All right. Yeah. Say goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye.